lords and ladies, welcome to The Princes of Cinema. Welcome to the throne room. Please approach on the carpet. Do not deviate. That's a good start. I like it. I am the king of hearts. I am the the jack of clubs. (laughs) I'm the prince of spades, whatever that means. Today we are joined by special guest Christopher Madden. Today we'll be discussing two vampire movies and, of course... Teeth, a monstrous musical comedy, a uh, musical that we wrote in 2006 and 2007. And we're going to discuss Chris Madden. We're going to get personal. <laughs> he looks this like, is a gossip. He looks gossip like a pirate episode. out there. You got that. Were you surprised in that movie, Nosferatu, how the vampire takes over the ship? I would have For never. Sure. If I would have written a sequel to Teeth, we would have still never put a ship in that. That was absurd. But you would. You look, Chris, um, nautical tonight. Thanks. Yeah, uh, got the, the Fu Manchu going. Your voice too is like an underwater effect. It's beautiful, but that's just the microphone array. Oh, okay. Well, wonderful. We're on merry time. <laughs> Bill, let me. Let, I know you have a plan, but I want to just. I want to throw that plan off course right away. Please, Chris. We're talking about two vampire movies, and then our vampire mm-hmm. musical. I want to just let you know. No, I don't want to let you know anything. I want to ask you, which, which is the best? Let's talk about who wins. Who won this? <laughs> we got Nosferatu by F. W. Murnau and Vampire by Carl Dreyer. And, of course, mm-hmm. Teeth of Monsters musical comedy by the three of us. Written in what year? 2007. Well, written the two years leading up to 2007. That's right. Chris, who wins and yep. why? Give us a winner. Ding, 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 ding. Wow. You know, I, I got to go, gotta go with us, can I say. <laughs> can I That's say? right. That's right. I, and here's why. I think both films are, both films are iconic. Um, they really missed out on really the ridiculousness of their source material and what they were trying to uh, um, what they were trying to portray. There, there were so many comedic moments that they could have recapitalized on. Yeah, it's all kind. It's all kind of gloomy, you know. Doesn't you're saying it doesn't have to be? I agree with you. That's why we wrote this musical. Yeah, it it, it could have been. I think it would have been more groundbreaking. Both both films would have been more groundbreaking um, if they filled in those moments of comedy that, that were just strewn throughout both, both movies. Can we go to the source? Because we need to talk about how Teeth ever happened. Let me talk about Steubenville, Ohio. Here's one of the mm-hmm. best features. Let me talk about Bellevue Municipal Pool. Mm-hmm. It's me, got the big slide. And it's got the snack hut. And in the snack hut, when Madden and I were summer lifeguards, if you had to uh, use the restroom in the clubhouse, staff restroom, you had to go down this hallway with one of those horizontal freezers, the lay-down freeze mm-hmm. fridge, and then you had to use that door. So Chris would hide 
kind of like actually wasn't hiding he was just looming up in the corner you were standing on the freezer with your arms spread out against the ceiling creases of the ceiling and when people (laughs) would come back from the restroom other guards you would sort of uh i wouldn't even call it a hiss is there a verb for what you were doing no i was i was i was trying my best uh like vampire slash just little kitty cat hiss (laughs) <laughs> let's see how that comes through on the mic let's see let's see how that comes through <laughs> what a what a treat for our listeners there you, go. there you go now hold on i had another thing too can i give a serious meditation mm-hmm. please so we could keep going back to the origin story so chris was scaring lifeguards then he wanted to do a vampire musical because he was acting in this way and then we call Bill, and then we start to get it rolling. Okay, we could talk mm-hmm. about the process later. Mm-hmm. My main thought is this. I had a very different role in the musical because I was a student and then a werewolf. And I got bitten, but I never did any violence myself. Bill, I was meditating on you when I was rewatching Teeth. Mm-hmm. Is that so much of these old vampire films, they leave the biting off screen? which is actually very kind of shy and modest. There's no on-screen biting, sure. except for the very end of Nosferatu, and he's like at her bedside, eyes wide. Yeah. Like, um, Now let me ask you this. You, I actually found myself thinking, how, how did you, you... You bit a lot of people. Yeah, I think my kill count was in the 40s. <laughs> What was that? Ex- the- what was that physical experience like? Like you're moving in. Do you like you kick your leg up sometimes? You make a noise. Do you do you actually like make contact with their neck? I was actually thinking that I never thought about this when we were doing this because I never bit anybody. Yeah, I would say that my thought was more about like a cheetah pounce than it was about the neck contact. Like I'm just trying to nuzzle into the back of someone's shirt more or less and create the effect. But the the fun of it for me was jumping and throwing my weight onto someone, and then their knees are going to buckle. And uh, <laughs> then I just jump and kill the next one. Because our I mean, show, we, for sure, we feature a variety of bites. I and mean, we do. Yeah. And, and then at one point, I pick up swords. <laughs> <laughs> that was Which we thought was one. pretty... We thought that was pretty ingenious. Which having to be like a vampire with swords. Having written the script with you, I think it was actually sabers in in the text. It was oh, definitely beautiful. supposed to be sabers. The only thing we found, though, it was at some costume store. They're just some like Friday the Thirteenth plastic machetes. But that was oh, yeah. all based on the Monty Python scene when the Lancelot comes and massacres the wedding party, and it's like. It's so violent, it's silly. We wanted to have the ballet massacre, like a ballet class. It's same. I think maybe we had the same effect. I think there was actually, we didn't quite pull that off because people were a little bit, I don't know, saddened, maybe. I think that the violence never felt real or okay. heavy. That's but I fair. think, like, no. for the sake of the uh, like the people who aren't our parents or siblings who may listen to this, maybe we should step back and explain a little bit of what we're talking about. Should we start with mm-hmm. the real with the movies, or do we want to start with ours? Well, mm. the movies didn't win the contest. We could discuss them tonight. <laughs> we, we we have a while too. I mean, Chris is we're on here as long as Chris wants to be. Yeah. This is I mean, 
an extended edition. I will tell you that I think it was yesterday or two days ago I called Chris at 9.20 and he was asleep. And he, <laughs> and to his credit, he woke up and, you know, Claire wasn't pleased, but he got out of bed. We talked about YouTube music and... Well, I called you back. I called thing. you back. I saw him. I saw I had a missed video. Oh, that's right. Let me pitch something right here. I think we talk about Nosferatu and Vampire, mm-hmm. and like at least to give the overviews because one of the things that I think our show did was challenge vampire lore. And here in these films, we've got two different ideas of what vampires are about what they're for how the like world works what happens when you bite somebody why don't you give us the summary because you're the movie guy these i'll give you a thing so first we got nosferatu a symphony of horror which is a great title you got to think about like a symphony of horror adds a whole lot it's a silent film 1922 german Basically, it's a straight ripoff of Dracula, except they just changed the name. Literally, we're sued, and we're supposed to destroy every copy, but here we are. Uh, oh, oh, really? Yeah, like 98 years later, watching it and discussing it. Well, I can but, tell you, I, I read through that, and um, after um, Bram Stoker's wife had every copy destroyed, there, had, there was not a showing or a copy seen for 30 years. So for thirty for three decades, there, the assumption was that it had been wiped from the map of history. That's crazy. But basically, we've got Nosferatu, who is this vampire. That's what this is about. He's the titular character. He's basically the Dracula here. Essentially, they're in Germany. There's this weird guy whose name is Nock, who is insane. It's very clearly like a 35-year-old man playing a crazy 80-year-old. And he is a real estate guy and he's like, Oh, I've got this friend in the Carpathian mountains who wants to buy a house across from you. It's just like abandoned warehouse. It seems he sends his guy. He goes, everyone's afraid of this count Orlock, Who's a vampire. Nosferatu. And he goes to Transylvania. I mean, he goes there. Cause I'm going to, once you're done, I'm going to compare notes. We yeah. actually followed some of this traditional storyline and we also, deviated and i have that's a, true i have a whole when you're done i got these i got these notes to roll out that was some great foley work <laughs> keep going so basically he goes there he's he's writing letters to his wife he's like i've got mosquito bites on my neck this guy's a creep the actor name is mac shrek which is a beautiful overlap with our story come uh, on mark shrek our friend yeah. Exactly. Who played in our show, Bobby Fisher. He gets murdered by you as Bobby Fisher. That's right. And then he plays Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers. He only plays <laughs> famous people. And he gets murdered in the end as Fred Rogers. He gets That's two true. famous deaths. You know, speaking of speaking of death count, that was the only kill that I had, that my character had. That's true. You killed Shrek. And, and, and that was the finale. That was like the send-off. Yeah. It's the end of the show. That's amazing. I didn't even think that I was the only one who killed. Like, how, je- uh, yeah. how, how jealous I, I you must have till, been. I didn't realize that until uh, Tim mentioned that he hadn't uh, committed any carnage himself. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think my, half character, of, my half of, didn't either. Half of teeth is like you trying to warm up to the first bite, if you think about it. So, 
basically it takes forever to do this deal and then they and then uh nosferatu sees a tiny picture of this guy's wife and is like i gotta go bite her so he takes actually he says a week's long he says she has a lovely neck he says that i mean that is a beautiful way to compliment a woman and then he goes on he takes a ship oh it's a whole wild scene where he loads up five caskets full of evil dirt he puts them on a ship he's under and then he slowly eats all of the sailors and i will say dragged a bit it was like 20 minutes of him on the ship then they finally get back this guy moves in the wife eventually reads this section saying uh well i don't even know if they're husband or wife i think but they're like some fair maiden needs to sacrifice herself to break the spell then basically he tempts she tempts Nosferatu until he waits until daylight because her neck is so good and then he turns into a puff of smoke he does really he yeah he's like he's like he's going too far you know he's he's the sun rises on him that's something we ignored i know we're going to compare notes but we did totally ignore the whole daylight vampire thing and honestly I'm kind of proud of that because I think not only mm-hmm. these two classic films, if you look at more modern renditions like What We Do in the Shadows, the New Zealand thing, you know, nobody ignores the sunlight motif except for us. Mm-hmm. We're the only ones to be like, we can't just have dark scenes on stage. <laughs> and we thought about that late, yeah. remember? It was it was like when the when the plot was written, we were just like, should we be dealing with sunlight? And it's just like, we can't go back now. We we have a note at the start of it where it's where we explain. Look, we're iconoclasts and rapscallions. We're not going to be limited by the limits yeah. of the sun. That's right. So, do you want to move on and talk? Because we're going. I'd like to compare all three. Uh, Vampire later film. Yeah, ten years later, Carl Dreyer. He's a Danish director. He based this off of a different source material which was in a glass darkly by la fanu it's a series of scary short stories from the late 1800s and this is set in france and basically the vampire stuff works different here there's an old woman vampire who has taken hold of an entire village and has essentially laid a curse on everyone and there's a much clearer sense of if you're bitten, you're damned. And it's that vampires are in cahoots with the devil. And there is this man who is, they describe him as a dreamer. His name is Alan. Alan Gray. Yeah, Ooh. he studied devil worship and vampires. What a protagonist. A I know. Wow. The line between supernatural and reality became blurred. That's how they start it. And then there's just these kind of poetic images of like a grim reaper reading, ringing a bell and then taking a ferry across a foggy lake. This guy's wandering through this house and a man bursts into his room in the middle of the night and is like, she can't die. You can't tell if he's a ghost or not. But then he leaves this book to be opened only on the case of his death, which we learn later is a and the book, book about is, vampires. And the book is scientific. It's like a whole manual on vampires, how they act, how they behave, how they kill people, and then also how to kill them, drive the iron stake through the heart. They eventually do that yep. to the old woman. She's like laying there in the grave. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. That was more like a 
like a riddle to be solved, like a game of Clue than a real vampire movie. It was like, who's who's behind this supernatural activity? It's a vampire woman buried in a grave. She's just waiting for you to drive a stake through her heart. I think the... So apparently Dreyer had seen a bunch of vampire films and was like, I could do that. And so he had been working on more experimental films and... Like he had just done the Passion of Joan of Arc, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point. It's in the a lot of these lists, like Sight and Sound, is in the top ten, top twenty films of all time. So, and then I think this is his first film with sound. Anyway, point is, this is like very beautiful. There's like the people who help the vampire are shadows, which is cool. That was one of my favorite things, and you could actually tell how it was done pretty easily, but it was incredibly effective. I thought. What do you mean? The shadows? Like his shadow minions all over the town? So if if you... When Alan goes into the mill, more toward the beginning of the film, um, you watch the uh, the soldier or the, the peg leg character, um, you watch his shadow go up the ladder, and you can see the ladder just to the far left edge of the frame, the actual ladder. But the way they had the angle and the lighting set up, the shadow of the ladder was dead center, and you just wa- and but you couldn't see the soldier on the left. You could just see his shadow actually climbing that. And so that's nowadays. I mean, that's just a it's an overlay edit um, of two shots, and they pretty much did the same thing, just in a uh, a lo-fi, you know, kind of cutting and taping way. But it it was seamless and it looked really cool. You seem to have some knowledge on these matters. I didn't realize we were getting an expert. <laughs> <laughs> didn't you no. do some high school film? Did you ever do this these kind of shots? Didn't you? No, but you guys, I I picked up on that right away. I I just <laughs> I saw the angles, and you did, the same thing happens. It was really cool when you see the um you see the soldier. Um, now I'm not sure how they how they did it this way. Yeah, I was going to say, how did they do it where the guy's sitting there and then Um, the the shadow walks into frame, sits down, matches him, and then they move away in sync? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, so so it's just a reverse. They did the same thing, um, except they edited two shots. So one shot is without the soldier there at all. And then they run. Right. They keep the camera and still, then they film it twice. Right. right. So then, suddenly, so well, not not even twice, just it just once, so it matches up perfectly, because the shadow comes in first, sits down. Uh, I'm sorry, no, the soldier is there first, mm-hmm. sits down in that pose, and then they run the same shot again, but reveal the second half of that shot, so that the shadow comes in, um, but it's it has to be done in a. The angle has to be done well enough where neither the shadow nor the individuals, the individual who creates the shadow, interferes with one another. Yeah, right, I, right. I really felt when I saw that this was the turning point of the whole film. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you guys are talking about. I mean, I have a vague memory of some 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 guy sitting down, ghost, but... I yeah, just this, watched this, this peg leg guy shoots the old man who bursts into his room. I remember that. Then there's that old doctor. Apparently, well, a lot of these guys in here, like the one, the doctor who looks like Albert Einstein, that was just some guy they saw on a train. 
and he was like, leave me alone. And then I guess they gave him a card. He called them back a few weeks later. But they just picked a lot of people who had never acted before that they're just like, you look weird. Well, the weird thing, too, is that the main actor in Vampire, I forget the man's name. I just looked this up today. He was actually sort of a an aristocrat. He was French. He later became magazine editor of Vogue magazine, Home and Garden. I mean, the guy basically just wanted to be in a film, and this is his one and only. Seriously. Yeah. He Nicholas actually de Gunsberg. He funded it too, paid for the whole thing. Well, de Gunsberg isn't French, but the movie's set in France. Um, I mean, this is like his little dream ship, trying to finally get his way into a film. I didn't realize too how much vamp. Like they said in 1927, a few years before this film was the the stage production of Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's it's amazing to think in the 20s and 30s how in vogue vampires were. I mean, we, we've been mm-hmm. through a – let me just pat ourselves, all three of us, on the back and say that mm-hmm. we produced a vampire musical in the year 2007. We had the idea in the year 2005, and I would definitely say that things that came afterwards, such as Twilight, such as what they do, what we do in the shadows – was that find Sarah, Finding Sarah Silverman? Isn't there a vampire musical at the end? Finding of Sarah it? Marshall. Finding Sarah Marshall. Dating Sarah Marshall. I think it's forgetting dating. Sarah Marshall. Forgetting. Look, See? we're finding, we're dating, we're forgetting. <laughs> well, that that's the Sarah, art of a relationship. I'm just saying there was an outpouring of vampire literature, but it came after us. Sarah it definitely Marshall followed. Had nothing to do with vampires. At, There's at, a vampire musical in it. At the end. He writes oh, a vampire that's, musical. You're right. You're okay. You're right. <laughs> we that's were, his embarrassing secret. We got there first. I'm saying is that those things came after us in the mid 2000s, and I'm just saying that these things go through a, a, waves of renaissance. And I think, um, yeah. I have no yeah. doubt in my mind, we helped start a second one. For sure. I mean, we at least knew that there was something hot brewing. Well, and I think this also just begs the question: Why are vampires always hot? Why does every society at all times always want these kind of men of the night seducing and ruining women? And some of the, well, I mean, well, there's not the they? devil in the modern ones, but in these ones, it's like. In these damned. ones, there was definitely sort of this devil quality, or also tied with the Black Death and Plague. It's very inexact theories. That's to do with both spiritual yes. and bodily ills. Well, I've always seen them as. The vampires as caricatures of high society. Really? Um, okay. So they, Gosh, okay, you're, Marx. You're you're interesting. Karl Marx on the line. <laughs> Just jump in here. Wearing a sailor's sweater, that hand knits <laughs> shirt. Oh man, Claire really hates my hair right now. I'm also growing out a mullet. You okay. doing both? You, can you show? Us. Can you just kind of turn briefly? You yeah. can't really. You can't really see it. Now you, nah, I can see it. You got a little something going here. I'm working on it. I mean, I, I've been I mean, doing high and tight for years. I mean, the side, the sides are just shaved. It. Yeah, I see it. Yeah. So hold yeah. on a second. Hold on a second. You're you're saying that <laughs> <laughs> this is great for the everyone at home because because it's true is that we we intuit that but you know you guys when you're both vampires in the musical you would both like dine only at nice places you'd have castles i mean here too they live mm-hmm. they're kind of like mm-hmm. monks they're, they they live secluded with nobody in their life but they also have really high value real estate 
And they eat fine foods. You're right, Chris. Infinite means, mm. yeah, they have like infinite money and wealth. They live forever. They're very strong and powerful and manipulative. And they don't have any cares for what other people think. How deep does this analogy go, Chris? Are you just like fishing with it? You're serious? Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's a pretty simple parallel. All right, I want to hear it. Let's. I'm going to give you space to give us this class warfare analysis of vampires and why we love them. I, I mean, I don't think it's class warfare, but you know, they, they, you guys already listed most of it. I mean, they wear the best clothes, they go to the the best restaurants, <laughs> that they have all the connections. You know, they know the people, right? Um, they one one uh, one glance at a lady, and that lady's theirs. Um, they're incredibly conceited, selfish. They literally suck the life out of someone without a without a thought, a second thought of that individual. It all revolves around a complex and really a fear of death, a fear of not living forever. Um, they're not necess- There are some vampires. I think some characters in Interview with the Vampire that were a little more lazy affair, a little more. Kind of just love in love with the moment, but there are also ones that were just very aware of how ancient they were and maintaining that, I guess that ancient status and, uh, and not dying, and and maybe that that could be also why they eventually shell themselves up in their uh, their coffin with their coffers full, having no need for the world, um, but still uh, living above the world in a way. I think that there is definitely some sort of element of all of this. And then there's also this aspect of underlying xenophobia, where it's these German people, and then you have this swarthy Southern Eastern European coming in, taking over, stealing their women. And then it's like the allure of the exotic or something, which Mm -hmm. for... You know, can we talk about stealing women? Can we go to that subject? I mean, I, I will there. say there wasn't much permission asking. I thought the whole thing was like they, you got to be invited in. But well, I think th- among normal human beings. But I mean, even Phantom of the Opera, which is sort of a spinoff of vampires, he's got a great voice. Was it Michael Crawford who's the original? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what holy a voice. smokes. Colm Wilkinson was another one, but you know he was he was a better Jean Valjean, if we're honest. But the I mean, Phantom Two, it's it's all about luring the girl to this cave. It's like the whole thing's creepy, but the music's gorgeous. So it's like I'll watch this. I'll watch the. I'll sing along. Um, let me just say this: I find two things unclear and not fully spelled out in vampires luring women. The first is, like, in Nosferatu, for instance, he's across in the window, and she's waking up in the middle of the night almost by some sort of sort of tractor beam force. She's, like, won mm-hmm. over by him. Whereas that, that's kind of, in the second film, Vampire, everybody is kind of drawn into, like, vampires have this force to draw people into themselves. Um, he draws, like, the mm-hmm. whole village in, in Vampire. My question is, what's what's the end game is... Does I, I'm unclear. Do victims necessarily die, or do they turn into vampires themselves? What happens when you get bit? Is that is that set in stone? Is that scientifically known? What happens when you get bit? Well, I, think I think that it's different in each of these films. 
Because I don't think anybody got turned into a vampire here. I think that this she, that it's basically vampires drain the life from people. Right. So Alan dies in the end of Nosferatu. He kills her, and then he dies by sunlight. So you get a double poof, right? Yeah. She does. I think who was who was the woman in Vampire that was bitten? Oh yeah, they the were, man's daughter. I can't remember. I don't know any. It of was them. either Gis- it was Giselle or some lady. Um, it's Leon. Leon. Okay. Giselle's so, sister. Yeah. So the doctor was trying to get her to commit suicide so her soul could be damned forever and claimed by Mister Pointy Ears, the devil himself. Yeah, the stakes are very religious in Vampire. Yeah, but like, I, I, th- I thought there was. I thought if she didn't commit suicide, that she would by the by the bite um, turn into uh, turn into. I thought one of those texts. What one of those? those what were the books that came after our show? The the Mormon books, Moonlight, Flashlight. What are those things called? The vampire romance. Twilight. Novels. Twilight. I'm not being funny. <laughs> so <laughs> doesn't I, I never read those but but don't don't they, they like, Mormon books don't they fall in love and then oh. like he bites her oh yeah definitely <laughs> definitely look it up so I think she falls in love with him and he turns her into a vampire it is possible to be bitten and to turn into a vampire I think it's definitely within this world. In these two, it doesn't happen. Or there's no examples of two people waking up as a vampire. Now, you know where we went, though, in our in our thing where these shows didn't go, is is having a wife. And not only one wife, Bill, you had two wives. Now, not at the same time. You had ex-wife, Chris. Not you, Chris. Your ex-wife's name was Chris. <laughs> That's right. And then Denise. And it, Which and is it, a backstory created by a throwaway joke. <laughs> And then the funny thing too is that it's 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 known that you, by reason of being a vampire, um, are sort of like you can act out. But there's no it, we we never entertain the idea that so you've you've actually never you're drawn to every other person or whatever and and you can go and kill. But your wife kind of dominates you like she's your queen. She's not a vampire. Is Denise in teeth a vampire? She's a vampire bride, I think. I mean, I think basically what we're doing in Teeth is saying, yes, vampires are these overwhelmingly charismatic men who have, like, this lust for power and control, except at home, like, it kind of wears off, and then you're just like a wimp. In fact, you know, Denise is trying to hit on Christopher in front of me, and I have absolutely... I'm not intimidating. All of my charms have worn off. It's kind of the sad future if you actually were to play out but the how, sort of like how, wow of the beginning. I mean, how innovative of us, right? I mean, who it's else good. Who else has like a married with children or not with children because <laughs> you can't have children when you're a vampire. That's another one of our rules. Like nobody else has a domesticated vampire setting where your wife, yeah. dude, she's not, you're not even going after her. She's not even a vampire. She just dominates you. I think it's I think uh, what it is. Yeah, I think that's I think that's it. Because the whole the whole vampire thing is some sort of escalation of these animal passions and lust and like very bodily and then what if it's boring later? But also these guys are creeps in in the old movies. I I actually felt 
creepy feelings when they're, especially in Nosferatu, they use his shadow. And I know Chris was making fun of his yeah. buck teeth, and he did have bad buck teeth. It, he didn't have the nice fangs. <laughs> That's the thing. He he didn't have he didn't have fangs. He had buck teeth. Chris, uh, I think we'll let you describe. But it. he had these. But he had these hands. These finger. He, they use shadows every time he approaches. It's his shadow with these claw hands. Yeah. So I yeah I, I think the set piece for like his costume um, was one of the, was basically the primary set piece because the other sets were just blank walls for the most part. Um, one of your uh, your first guests, what's his name is it Keen Patrick pa- Keen Patrick Keen. Okay, uh, I'm going to warn Keen. you: don't speak bad about past guests. I don't know what you're about to say. <laughs> hey, I, I appreciate that warning. Don't you worry, though, Patrick. I'm just going to honor you by quoting. I think the setting and the production was a little shaggy in uh, mm-hmm. in Nosferatu. And uh, his, so everything about Count Warlock just popped. And that was, that was very good with the, sh- with the shadows crawling against the wall you know, with the nails and everything. But just when you think about it, though, uh, before, I guess, the, the canine teeth were the standard for drawing blood out of the carotid artery. They went ahead and just gave him two front teeth for, uh, <laughs> for vampiric teeth. Turned him into Bugs Bunny, like, right away. And so what he's talking about, just these, these two little, these, you know, the little bites are like so much, two teeth marks on his neck are so much closer than uh, you typically see in cinema, and I just I just think it's funny because this is like the trailblazer for vampires, but they immediately decided to go away from that. It's like we like everything except looks like a rabbit just just bit this guy. Uh, <laughs> so we're gonna we want to spread it out a little bit more. Rabbits aren't as ferocious as maybe um, a wolf that has that has some some serious canines. So. Mm-hmm. They, he didn't have fangs. He had a. Uh, he was uh, rocking some Bugs Bunny teeth. And we don't know if the if the if the woman, the old woman vampire and vampire, we don't know if she had fangs. She was laying in the coffin, you know. That's true. She was terrifying. I mean, I will say that both of these films, I think Vampire overall was better. But Nosferatu, I will say that performance was good, especially considering a lot of the other performances were so over-the-top and stagey and kind of cartoonish. But he had this very sort of wide-eyed, intense, like used his physicality so well. It well, was he, so he, good. He also, he also had makeup, too, around his eyes to make his eyes look especially gaunt, you know? Yeah. I mean, I was... I had, when he arrives at the castle in Transylvania, I was a little bit, I actually did feel creeped out. I mean, you only feel half creeped out because in old movies you can't actually make it nighttime. It's just like a dim lens on a daytime shot. Yeah, they just make it green. It just looks green. But I, 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 I was creeped out. So I mean, I, I also have this, uh, I, I took a screenshot of this. He says... When they're having their first dinner together, he goes, Can we not stay together a little longer, my lovely man? It's still quite a long time until sunrise, and I sleep by day, dear fellow, completely dead to the world. Which I think is, is like, silly, but it's also kind of... I mean, you're actually... I'm, I'm mostly worried. My, my worry was physical. Like, okay, this is not so terrifying, but is he going to go for him? 
Is he going to actually cheetah pounce? Your words, not mine. Yeah. You never knew. There was a certain stillness to his movement where it sort of... If it was, you didn't know if he was going to lash out. Correct. Yeah, it, it created the anticipation. And he never does because even when he attacks Ellen in the end, he's like... <laughs> He's almost like a, he dis, he's discovered in the bedroom, and she's kind of laying there, and he's at her neck, but he's almost looking up, it, almost like a, I don't like it, like a dog at his water bowl, just kind of like here I am, draining her life. It's like oh gosh, yeah. why, why would you do that? It's kind of calm, surprisingly. Yeah, you know it now, is interesting. I. One of the things is like that that is totally true. And I think like I don't know how we did, but we avoided any of the real scary violence, I think. Transylvania maybe being the exception. You mean in our show. Yeah. And then I'm realizing that Nosferatu has knock, that like weirdo real estate agent who lives in Germany mm-hmm. who's like, I gotta get my master here. They have the weirdest relationship, but I'm realizing that we had a minion. We had a few minions, and like having a minion and a posse was part of our world too. Let me ask a question of the group. I I'm automatically watching these films, comparing what did we do the same or different, and I'm actually realizing we mimicked a lot of these things. We have we have minions. There's just a start of a list. We could run the list. Mm-hmm. Did we? I never watched anything vampires as a child, nor did I do any research in writing this musical. Did either of you? I maybe had a great illustrated classic of Dracula or played Transylvania once. But, but, we, but we, really. we did no research, and we actually got That's a lot true. of things right. I watched Interview with the Vampire uh, years prior to writing it. But not a whole lot there. I mean, it, it was known, I think, trying to seduce or allure a woman. I don't know. In the uh, societal ether. Like let me let me run this list of things we got right without even trying or thinking about it. It's actually kind of impressive. May I? Please. So things we, we got right. Travel motif. Like the, he he you have to like travel to this far off land to meet this vampire in his castle. Mm-hmm. Um, real estate. They always have a castle. That's part two. Wait, what was our first one? Luring women. They have a power over women and other people. What was the fourth yeah, like one? Power of seduction. You said power of seduction, travel, minion. Now this all this all began with something. What was our first item on the list? We can't do a list. We talking about posse, posses or minions? Minions, correct. All right. Uh, their collaboration with werewolves. That's right there in the beginning. Okay, those don't have to be separate genres. That's part five. They go to Transylvania. He's like, ah, you don't want to go there. There's a werewolf, and it's actually a hyena on camera, which looked real dumb. <laughs> I um, forgot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It so, was painted too, I think. The yeah. whole the whole motif of like bedtime reading about how to figure this stuff out. Like you you were saying that Bill, you I was a young student, I was in the library, you know, reading Bram Stoker, trying to understand what I was going through. Cuts his finger, right? Remember he that's when he first starts to make a move yeah. on him at dinner. And Shrek's mm-hmm. uh no, Katie Herman, she's the one that cuts her finger. Mrs. Rogers, and that causes the whole scene. So Chris is trying to pick up their daughter, Madeline. Well, that goes south when there's blood, right, from a knife cut. That's seven. Yep. Hold yep. on. Mm-hmm. There's always blood. It's not. It's not just. It's not just a vampire who's uh, 
seductive. He's creepy. And, Bill, I, I don't mean to be mean, but you did have a creepy. You, you kind of know you have to be creepy as a vampire. You're not nearly as creepy as these standalone vampires in the movies. You're much more domesticated. Um, Thank you. Uh, part seven or eight trouble sleeping there's all these motifs of having trouble sleeping guests have trouble sleeping when they're on i mean that's true right chris is having Mm -hmm. trouble sleeping um he's woken up in the middle of you you invite him to the black forest to then attack him and actually when you attack him he's turned into a vampire so he's not killed i don't know how that works we don't need to know. There's this botany motif as like a weird thing. Like instead of sucking blood in, in Nosferatu, there's like a botany professor. It's like, how did we get it all right without even <laughs> without ever watching these films? Yeah, that one feels crazy. You yeah, taught I, botany. I was kind of I was kind of floored when I uh, when that professor entered the movie. Right. Just seeing that. Remind parallel. me what the botany professor did in Nosferatu. He was just sort of this side character who was who was sort of like the explaining things and um I mean obviously you were both vampire and botany teacher. That was like your alcoholics anonymous to keep you straight, you know. Right, right. But that but that is it's like the exact foil is botany. Too. I mean, that's like point yeah. number ten. Let me go along briefly as well here. Um <laughs> We didn't really deal with coffins, okay, no, no. But for for instance, there's this uh, this whole idea of no. I actually that's the end of the list. <laughs> so those ten items. That's good because there are a lot of things we didn't do the same. So I have a list like they leave most of their bites off screen. Ours are on. There's this whole connection of the Black Plague. We didn't mess with that. We didn't mess with coffins. We didn't mess with cursed dirt or. Terror or like having a curse over a community. We had more like individual monsters, and there was less of this. Well, we did have like in in Vampire, the community is mostly cursed, and that's kind of like our version of Transylvania. Everybody seems nice, but they're actually all evil. Where it's true, whereas we don't match the Transylvania of Nosferatu, where it's just a normal village, and they're all afraid of this one guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The one thing I was hoping to see but didn't, and uh, but actually, you know what I'm happier this way, is the corners. We have a strict policy that you can tell someone is a vampire if they're drawn to a corner in moments of high stress or anxiety or excitement. And that is how Chris, in fact, discovers he's a vampire, besides having jet black hair. <laughs> So your hair your hair turns black, you thirst for blood, and you're drawn to the corner when emotions run high. Yeah, it didn't take much for Chris to be convinced that he was also a vampire. <laughs> Dude, what are you doing in the corner? I yeah. also think too, vampires are, are 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 they're 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 made to dance. I think nobody else understands that but us. The fact that there there's this class to them, they're not just meant to sit at the dinner table and then, you know try and like mm-hmm. come into your bedroom at night they're meant to dance they're meant to spin you around the floor dancing is part of high society well vampires don't do it in other mediums is is my issue with everybody else's vampire material but ours yeah the other thing that we tackle which may be more overlaps with twilight is that we take on sort of the saved by the bell kind of 
you know, we've got Durvin and... Uh, well, it's a college that, campus. That's right. It, it, it's, it's like the next level Saved by the Bell, so it's even better than that, too. Yeah. It's the college years. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like... Yeah, it's it's Saved by the Bell meets Dracula. We should give a summary. Let's have Chris give a summary briefly, because we did, we did that for the movies. Teeth, a monstrous musical comedy produced in Steubenville, Ohio. CCHS Auditorium, Landman Hall, and then Carnegie Hall of Pittsburgh the next winter. Chris, mm-hmm. what, if, if you're at a party and somebody's yeah. just like, hey, have you ever had any creative efforts in your life? And you're like, well, I wrote a musical once. Like, oh, gosh, what's it about? Yeah, it's about friendship. It's about love. It's about traveling and coming home after a uh, changing experience. I'm trying to think of one of those, one of those campy one-liners of like... Uh, you know, just having having that experience as as a group of friends had this experience and they'll, they'll never be the same ever again. But really, uh, getting to the actual um, summary, you, know, you got got a couple besties. They're uh, I, I I guess their their college career um, separates them. That's One me. Goes off. Me and you. So it's not just besties. Right. Like we wrote ourselves into the musical. So. Yeah, there's, so, Tim, there's Tim Danaher, Chris Madden. You go to study abroad in Transylvania, and your true. professor in botany is Bill DePiro. Oh, you know what? <laughs> we actually so this this is funny. Didn't we we wrote this in because I was leaving for Austria? Yeah, and it was like, what if you came back a vampire from study abroad? That's right. That, this, that was the this whole one, idea. We yeah, I totally forgot about that. That that. We, <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, a, a lot of this was an amalgamation of all of our hypothetical jokes. I think for years we just hy- threw out all kinds of hypothetical, funny scenarios that, w- that, like, we thought were just the best and hilarious. And a lot of them came to a focal point, which turned into teeth. I forgot about that entirely. It was so organic. Yeah. I just, I just never saw it. There is actually also a, a, a part where uh, Tim and I were we went to Brook Hills um, to watch Princess and the Pea. We we're wearing tuxedos and had binoculars, <laughs> which is which is like a playhouse in in, in a barn out in West yep. Virginia on a summer evening. This is and the it, second or third time in six episodes that Brook Hills has come. <laughs> But we did bring binoculars that time. I remember we did. dressing and, up. And, and uh, they were, and they were, yeah. The assistants were calling us sirs the entire evening. It, it, <laughs> it felt, I felt so powerful. I felt like a vampire right then and there. Um, but on our way home, we were joking around about about <laughs> being a sad werewolf. I think. And uh, like being a lovesick, or like a like a like a werewolf howling. Out of like heartbreak, heartbreak. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Man. I feel like I don't know this. I vaguely I, remember this. I haven't thought of it since it happened, but I do think that's part of the origin story of like yeah, the it, the because my side plot is that Bill bites you when you're right. studying abroad to make him a sort mm-hmm. of son because he can't have a son of his own. Yeah. And then, see, that was the most complicated plot twist is that. Then you come back to the states and steal my develop. I mean, I'm your love a, interest. My love interest, Madeline mm-hmm. Lord Jurasco, who choreographed the whole damn show. Right, she was great. We choreographed a lot of it in living rooms as well. 
And our parents mm-hmm. kind of stayed in the kitchen. We're like, we'll see if this thing ever comes together. It's like, well, mm-hmm. I, we were thinking of that too. Um, <laughs> but then, but then, like, what was? That's the weird. That's the weakest plot link, Bill. Is that you try and set me up with this werewolf? Not be, not because you hate me. It's just sort of like I'm upset that Chris stole my girlfriend, and you're kind of trying to get me off the trail. That's to right. Just, to just push me aside, so you, so I get bit by, yeah. I get bit mid song. Actually, it's towards the very height of the song when I get transformed. But that all came from Brook Hills. This whole idea of of a uh, sad, heartbroken werewolf. Yeah, yeah I and, mean, the whole thing is like. We're fishing, and I'm telling you, you know, there's only one way to get over her. I forgot you took me fishing in the yeah, play. Yeah, I took you fishing, and then you're like, <laughs> I know, I don't know if I can forgive him yet. I'm like, no, revenge, you got to get revenge. It's basically, I mean, I'll use a big word here. My, for me, it's a teleological argument. In order for Chris to be truly a vampire, he needs to take a vampire ride. Now the growth of a vampire begins with the girl. And her neckline. You will charm and you'll woo, and she can't help but choose to fall for you. So I needed to get rid of the competition, which means, you know, there's, I think there were a couple full moons in about a three day period. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't, I mean, the, the passage of time was unclear. But, and that is a night yeah, scene. We, we do have night scenes, right? That happens at night. Yeah, we're fishing at night. So we actually we actually have a sort of lunar sensitivity in the play, but mm-hmm. we are we have a sort of solar ignorance. You know what I'm saying by that? That's true. That's true. Chris, what so, else just to tell us more thoughts now that you're here? Yeah. So ultimately Chris he does steal the girl, then somehow the girl goes back. I think oh that was the girl Chris. who is the the daughter Madeline. of the daughter of Mr. Rogers. That's right. So the Mr. Madeline Rogers, Rogers okay. Lord Rasco, played her. Um, Chris comes over for dinner. Um, he tries to I guess eat uh, Madeline's mom, uh, Madeline's father. Just wallops Chris. Body slams him. Body slams him and rips his underwear. True story. <laughs> I watched that scene today. I watched and, the whole thing today. And he but calls, it was you, he calls so you a good. communist, too. A bumblebee, no good, blood-sucking communist. Something like that. We just we didn't even write lines. We let, we let the actor, Mark Shrek, just like... We gave him a couple ideas, but... I love that yep. scene, too, where he's like, you know... He, when he's talking about keeping her safe, the daughter safe, and I'll be following mm-hmm. you in my car. You yes. know, I see you have a convertible. <laughs> uh, I assume it has a roll bar. Where do we learn about roll yeah. bars on convertibles? So in case I do remember this. I remember this because mm-hmm. we were like, "What would a conservative family be worried about?" And I was like, "Mom, what would you be worried about? Like with a convertible?" She was like, "Well, you know, those things roll over. You have to make sure it has a roll bar." I was like, "Well." I guess we have to use that now. No way. Oh my yeah. gosh! None of yeah, us. Yeah, my knew mom these. was worried about it. I don't, none of us knew these origin stories. Terry DePiro oh, put in the great. roll bar line. So can I? Can I give you? I'll give you one more origin story of the name. I don't know if you guys remember this 
but when I was flying to Alaska, I was sitting next to a dude, and this dude was all my business the entire flight, and I was just like hunched over reading lines and editing some of the dialogue. He he said, "Yo, hey, oh, are you writing something? Is that fiction?" <laughs> I said, "Sweet fiction." Is that fiction? I can't wait to drop that on some poor soul on a flight. And I said, "I said yes. It's something I'm something I'm doing for fun." And he said, well, "What what is it about?" And so I, I gave him like a ten second little blurb. He said, "All right, cool. What's it called? You got a, you got a title for it?" And I said, um, "So th- this was when we were still considering Gothica. That was and, the working title, Gothica." Yeah. And we I, were just I said, like, it's not the Halle Berry movie, but there was yeah. no other reason we would have known that word. <laughs> but I and I, I said, but I, I'm I'm very certain that we're not going to keep that title. We're still we're still crunching the numbers on that one, thinking about it. And then he uh, he just like he he like looks up at the ceiling of of the plane and just says, "Teeth, it's got to be teeth. You should call it teeth." <laughs> And I, I, I just like looked. I was like, "Okay, thank you." And I just, I just continued to, uh, um, continued to try and do the edits and just ignore him for us. An hour later into the flight, he is looking. He's like, he's like head back. I thought he was asleep. He wasn't. He was just like staring at the ceiling. <laughs> An hour later, he says like under his breath, "Teeth, yeah." It is. <laughs> <laughs> And then, hold on, and, and then, I mentioned this to you guys, you're not, neither one of you are hot on it, I said, <laughs> fine, I don't, I don't care, I just thought it was really funny, um, we go to a Michael Vince house party, and, oh man, what I wouldn't my, give to go to a Michael Vince house party right now, and, and he tells us, he relays a story, un, completely unrelated, because we hadn't divulged this uh, the story of this guy in the plane. He tells that he had a dream um, about us finishing our musical that we had been working on. He knew about it, and that we ultimately titled it Teeth. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes. Michael Vince, like, synchronously had a dream with the same title in it. And then we're like, it's a bad title, but here we go. Yeah, but it's like, how could we say no to this? It's it's locked in. I com- I I'm you're digging up some some buried memories like that vampire is, lady. I just had a I just had a memory come back, which was one of the first times I think I got excited excited about it. Like I mean, some of the early like the pool stories are great. But you were worried because, because because Chris and I were – I remember we were writing in a notebook on the side of Bellevue Pool underneath these pine trees, and we called you on our cell phone. You were like, yeah, so we told you what he was doing in the snack hut. We want to do this vampire musical. You're like, okay, so you want to do you, – you sure the musical's the right medium for a vampire story? Because I remember you initially were like, you're my friends. I'll go along with this for a bit. Yeah, but I think yeah. I mean, that's probably also just my personality. So when like, I don't know when, when if we're you, gonna do it, we gotta do it right. Bill was definitely the taskmaster that that kept that actually well, made, no 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 made. I I made it happen in the end, but I'll talk to you about that next because I have I have more teeth stories. <laughs> 
I've got one. I've got one here. Okay. First time I was really excited, which was we were in Madden's living room, and we were just like improvising friendship like a lion, and just like the insane lines from it. The opener. Yeah. Yep. And then, very. I think eventually your sister came home or something, and we were trying to recreate the best moments from it because we were just like improvising. We did a lot of improvising, actually, which is funny because now I, like, didn't have done improv for 10 years in New York. But I don't, you know, I didn't have any, like, improv training at the time. But we did a lot of, like, okay, here's loosely the scene. And then we would just kind of riff and then try and write down what we remembered. But you, but you, you felt like it was actually taking off then. I think when we were improvising in Madden's living room, I just... I think there. I also even had this feeling, even to now, that we never quite remembered some of the best lines from that day. Or, you know, it's that thing where it's like there's so much good stuff coming out that you can't grab it all. But there are so many, like, bizarre uh, analogies, like the summer solstice, the Our longest lasting, never-ending day. Our friendship is like the summer day. solstice, the longest lasting, never-ending day. Our friendship is like NASA, 50 years of exploring deep space. <laughs> Our friendship is like a carnival. That's a great metaphor. Yeah. It's like an, it's like an opera. Our friendship is like a summer solstice, the longest lasting never ending day. Our friendship is like an opera with courses and courses of husky upkeepers. Our friendship is like a symphony, a crescending wave of wondrous raptures. Hey, Jim, do you hear that? So, here. Let, let me just let me just give you this just to just to keep going through origin stories. Some oh, of it, some of it was a grind though because when Chris yes. was away in his fishing job in Alaska, I actually, by the way, could have done a fishing job that year for the second summer in a row or whatever, but I chose to stay in Steubenville and be a lifeguard again at Bellevue. This is the second summer. We came up with it summer number one. Mm-hmm. And then 2006, actually, because it was only a year-long process. 2007, we did it in what, August or July? August we did it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, but but Chris was gone. We booked the dates and, yeah. Because we worked on it like the first summer, then somewhat throughout the school year. And then we we, Chris was gone the whole summer leading up to it, right? Yeah. So I remember we came back like, a couple I was of out. I was gone for six weeks out of that summer. But I'm just yeah. going to say this. That's when Billy D and I had to grind because I remember two things specifically. I stayed back to stay in Steubenville and not go back to Alaska with you because I knew this needed to be done and we couldn't just both go there. B, Bill had his wisdom teeth taken out. Speaking of teeth, <laughs> you were you were like 10 days swollen in the molar. Yeah. And and you were just kind of like not up to it, but I would roll around your house f- around eleven o'clock. We went, I think we went for, I mean, I had even taken off work at the pool. We went for almost a, we went over a week almost straight where we were going all day. We brought the piano into the piano your, in my room into yeah. your bedroom. We just did these like. And we, 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 we definitely finalized the plot. We started to really fill in dialogue. And then I was working on music. And But you and I did lyrics a lot. See, Chris, Chris brings two things to the thing. He brings a lot of physical humor on stage. You can't not see him move around. 
He's a big guy. Chris is a star. He's Chris is the talent. Chris is a spark. See, he's a shooting star. He's the guy that gets this going, but then he leaves for a summer job and doesn't finish it. And <laughs> you recovering from wisdom teeth surgery and me showing up every day at your house made it happen. Just saying. I gotta say, we we yeah, I mean, all I the like- all of us, Chris. I'll get. I'll let you defend yourself in a second. But well, I don't need, we I don't need all of us. I, I just love Tim's rosy colored <laughs> uh, review of, of his summer. <laughs> <laughs> so the winter before, or like the summer, like summer two thousand six, and then winter break two thousand six. Mm-hmm. That was when we went to Al's diner. And all decided to drink bottomless cup of cups of coffee right. after never having drank coffee before, <laughs> and we're just all like full shaking at the table, trying to map out these vampire ideas. You know, I remember we just like had a few big set pieces that we thought needed to happen, like friendship, like a line. We needed to see Transylvania. I think there were some of the scenes where like. Uh, you know, I meet Chris and bite him, and that was kind of like I invite him to my castle kind of thing. And then there needed to be a return where you show up with a bunch of, like, you're basically, watching it today, I was like, oh, Chris just looks like John Travolta in Greece, <laughs> except if John Travolta had a cape instead of a leather jacket. And then you've got these, like, <laughs> goons laughing along with you. You're basically a T-bird. And then the scene where we murder all of, <laughs> I murder the whole class, the ballet class. And then the honey bear scene where Tim gets turned into a, a werewolf. I feel like we had those scenes down that were like, okay, how do we connect the dots? And that's like what we ended up having to do. The, I forgot entirely summer. about the Al's Diner sessions. Yeah. Which then became Donna's Dinette, which now is probably some sort of windowless place where people play like whatever slot machines they have in Wheeling. I still have weird. the notebooks, by the way. I still have a notebook full of our original notes. I'll have to send you guys that. Oh, wow. Well. So let's get into some other origin stories, just because I think we're on a mm-hmm. slight roll. Transylvania. Transylvania. Bobby Fisher came here long ago. Transylvania. Transylvania. Never let him go. What is it? That's it. We're gonna thank you. To Transylvania. Bobby Fisher. But but that, that riff, mm-hmm. that was completely by accident. I was actually, Chris and I would sometimes meet up on fall semester, because Bill, you were at Notre Dame, we were at Franciscan mm-hmm. in Steubenville, we were separated semesters, during the semesters, and in the student center at the JCWM's they had a baby grand piano, and like kids that were actually training, training classical piano would come and play it during afternoon hours when the student center was quiet we had a couple sessions where we got on the piano and we were just trying to play bad music music we wanted to write awful harmonies and be like let's rock this let's bring this to the stage So 
But I had I had accidentally because normally on your left hand, if I was going to go like play a D chord, it would be like D A D, and I accidentally I accidentally hit D A D sharp, and I was like, ooh, I like mm. that mistake, and we kind of made a riff. But Chris, you were with me on that. I remember you were over my shoulder. We were just singing, um, bad harmonies. Yeah. That's the origin of that place. That is that's one of the best songs in the show. It's hard it was hard to I mean, even rewatching it, I was like, what is the best song in this? It's mm. it's, it's a it's a smorgasbord, to use a Swedish word. There's a lot of things there. I I really like the uh, uh the Count William and Denise's song. You know I wrote that at Bellevue Pool. I was sitting on one of the metal benches on a rainy day that was the last mm-hmm. one i wrote i think that's my favorite song and it's the last one i wrote we were we were about three weeks out and we were already doing with our friends these evening living room rehearsals remember before we had stage mm-hmm. time we were, we were rehearsing in living rooms with sometimes mm-hmm. 10 plus people and staging things and choreographing and learning harmonies we were teaching i was teaching chris simmons the piano music just by ear he was just like learning it and making it better insane insane that we had that but he's so smart well he still is he's but so a, as these things are all going on we still hadn't written a few final songs that was my my last one was mm-hmm. bite that boy which i think is my favorite one which i got this kind of riff and I, I brought my keyboard to Bellevue because it was a rainy day and nobody was coming to the pool. And I remember, I remember sitting on the bench underneath the awning right outside of the guard shack and just kind of writing it on a rainy lifeguard day. Just being fruitful. Man. Maybe it's time I, I took myself aside. That, I that that brings me back because I remember my experience of, you know, I should have known that I have uh, some anxiety in my mind and soul <laughs> because I just like had this feeling of like the show is in two weeks we haven't finished the songs yet you know <laughs> and I and you know and Chris Chris got called out for going to Alaska. Tim had to go recharge his his uh, tank as well, but this was, dare I say, with a relationship, That's where you true. were you were making you were making drives, and I was just like pacing Div- around my basement, being like, I gotta finish this these edits, the, these lyrics gotta be written, and my dad was like, literally go have a glass of wine because you need to calm down. Now That's why. true because I made visits to Maryland and I also went on vacation to Michigan. Hey, just to be fair to all of us. We never had any conversation about scheduling in the summer. I, I, <laughs> no, I mean there there was a certain haphazardness about it. I was I was giving credit to Billy earlier because, kind of, when when we were discussing when Tim and I were discussing that in the uh, at the pool, and uh, and got got Bill on the phone. Bill like actually started like talking about seriously getting stuff or getting pen to paper. And, and actually getting getting a lot of this a lot of this written down or, or just getting in more group sessions. I remember a lot of 
writing group sessions as well um, in Bill's um, in Bill's bedroom. Um, yeah, they're, those they're, were fun. Your bedroom, by the way, for the listeners out there, because not everybody knows your childhood bedroom, but it's it's basically like a, it's like a living room. It's like you have a couch in there, a big carpeted space. You had that old TV. Sega, no, Sega Genesis was in the basement. Mm-hmm. Did you bring it up top? Yeah. No. I don't know if I ever had a TV in there. It was spacious. It was kind of like a big. living room with a bed yeah. off in the corner. Yeah, I got that big old Ikea desk. I remember we would be like, let me take a turn at it. And then we would like sit down in like in this meditative state and just like try and write like whatever <laughs> whatever jokes that we had in our mind. It's like, let me see if I can hear it. And then the other two would like sit kind of silently and think and... And be like, okay, I have it. And then we'd like read through it and then like criticize it immediately. And then it'd be like, let me try. And then we'd just kind of cycle through one at a time. We had, and I was probably, uh, I would say, controlling in some ways. That's good. We also had more yeah. more cussing in the rough draft. We realized there was a lot of families and local people coming to see it. So I think we, oh, interesting. We took a lot of that out. I mean, a Let lot me of this was straight up ripped from Life Aquatic. But when I watched it, I was like, if I didn't know that, there's no way I would have we been were, able to tell. And we even were talking about at Al's Diner. I remember we were talking about, what do you think Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach, like, how did they sit down and write? How did yeah, There was sort yeah, of yeah. like this, this wondering going on. We're yeah, in their it, lineage. It was more along the lines of, the, I think, the tone and just kind of the, the, the approach of... Uh, you know, with question response or question answer, um, that really rubbed off on us for uh, Life Aquatic. One question I had for you guys uh, during my my exploits in Alaska, you guys did reach out to me and uh, you asked me to uh, to write the uh, the Rogers family jingle. That's true. And <laughs> and so I I remember I remember writing it in uh, in Anchorage Airport waiting but uh why would and, and thankfully i had some music in my head but to, to reference the the, uh, the smart guy for simmons again when i got back i just sat he and i just sat on the piano i said hey i, I have a jingle in my head it's kind and it's really simple music uh and i started like humming it or like mumbling it <laughs> why don't you why don't you like you know, pick it out yourself a little bit with a piano or a guitar, and come back to me when you actually have something of substance. Hello, well, welcome to Mikasa. Mikasa, Mikasa, we love to have you sit back and relax. You've come to ask our father, your father, our father, for manners and to love and to court. He just started like riff of the like little crumbs that I gave him. And I was like, "Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, can you can you just go through a little change here or there?" He knocked it. He knocked out. I mean, it's it's a really small piece, but um, it was probably within five minutes that he uh, he basically had the, uh, the the music for that jingle. I'm not paused. I'm just striking a pose. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was gorgeous for our listeners. Um, just keep rolling. That- that is that is definitely true. I remember you came up with that, and we got this mastermind, Chris Simmons, who collabed on it. When, but I'm just I'm just curious. Was, why did you guys throw that at me? You 
knew I was busy in Alaska. I do remember that <laughs> you had a lot of florid ideas, like you wanted to come back as a young vampire and be like, and I, the Duchess told me at her dinner party last night, you had all this. And we started to veer away from those floral notes. And I think we wanted to throw you, I remember wanting to throw you a little bit of a bone because we had done a lot of work in your absence. And it was the song that none of us had a great idea on, but it was silly. And we were like, let's just ask Chris, maybe he'll come up with something. I think it was kind of like that. I do think that that is also the thing that we need to give Chris credit for, which is you are a true blue sky thinker. And you can find... You came up with, I think, a lot of the big ideas in the show. And then I think most of the time, Tim and I were like, I don't know. But then a few of them were like, well, that is what we're going to base this show around. Chris Chris is the raw material. I shape it some. You polish, Bill. That's how it goes. Yeah. I mean, well, I was thinking get, about it because Tim... It's good enough. Yeah, Tim would send, you would send me these, like, nine-minute clips of, like, music that you were working on, like the piano motifs. I still have those files as well. I, I yeah. shaved everything. I mean, I was working at Lancia Nursing Home, and I was painting, I was painting door frames and laying tile and using a riding mower, and I just, like, had my Walkman on, or, like, whatever early iPod, just listening to these nine-minute <laughs> audio tapes over and over again, trying to be like, okay, oh, yeah, uh, we repeat this twice, okay, you know, like, this sort of stuff. I remember, the, we can maybe cut this, because I don't know if this is uh, disrespectful, but <laughs> I remember you saying, like, you would be playing these songs all the time, and your mom would be like, Tim, could you stop playing that music? But oh, then when no, she no, saw no. everybody loved it, then she was like, play that song for me. And it's just like, Mom, I mean, I'll let you tell it. Well, let I've me... already let, told it. Right. Let me clarify this. I went, my, my werewolf transformation scene, which ends the first act, which is playing mm. D minor with descending on D minor to C, B flat, A. And I howl. I mean, I, I go for the full wolf howl and i got pretty good at it i, I would kind of flip into a higher register um i did it's a multi multi-tone howl I actually still remember the T-shirt I was sitting in when my mom... I don't know why, just weird memories. I had a University of Arizona Wildcat T-shirt, hand-me-down from somebody, and I was wearing red shorts with that. It was a white T-shirt. And I remember late at night, this idea came to me. I was like, wait, I could throw a wolf howl over this descending D minor riff, and I just started to do it really loud. Because, you know, but a little, 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 you know, you kind of way up high and way on low on the, on the right and left hands. Mm -hmm. And my parents were sleeping, and she came right down mid-howl, and she, she basically <laughs> shut that down. And I was like, I get it, but I had, to, I had to do this in this moment. And so she actually, I think my mom's impression, this is fair to say. That, I mean, that's more complicated than what I presented, for yeah, sure. That gave her the idea that just like, this is just a bunch of wild spurious thoughts and they're also like friends <laughs> i know they're friends but they're like rehearsing and doing some dances i remember we choreographed in my living room my philosophy of life which is a great choreograph because chris catches laura no i catch laura yeah 
And, and I, I remember doing that in the Jurassicos it, too. It's where almost you like grab her like a ship, like a Titanic, and she's yeah. piv- mm-hmm. she's pivoting. Um, but I remember my mom was awful position for your diaphragm, <laughs> right? My mom was just she was really su- she was really surprised like how it actually came together. I think she I think you were too, Bill. Um, well, but you were yeah. also part of the process. But she was she had just heard snatches of it and even shut some of those down. And then finally it came together, and I think my whole family discovered, like, you know, wow, this is a full two-hour-plus musical. Um, mm. I think everybody, I think we were, were we surprised by it? I'm not sure. I think we always had it. So I, mean, I remember the experience of doing a rehearsal, like our dress rehearsal, and my sisters, who also had their wisdom teeth out, were there. And I think Chris's? Sisters and maybe was Claire Madden there and as well. Patrick Mansfield was visiting because yeah. he was passing yep. through town, and we yep. had modeled Dervin Samuels sort of on him. Yeah, he was a combination of Bortz and Mansfield, mm-hmm. and uh, and I remember no one laughed during the dress rehearsal, <laughs> and I was like, and I felt an absolute sinking feeling, and I was like, oh, we're not ready, you know. And I remember trying to direct, and I'm in it too, and it's it's just kind of complicated to get everything to work, and trying to step out, and you know, it's hard to have an objective perspective when you're in most of the scenes or in a lot of them or because because that's the trouble too is like we're writing it, but then we're also acting, and that we we need we do need to switch into that for a little discussion on acting because. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not sure. I I felt by the dress rehearsal. Maybe I'm just I was sharing in Chris's blue sky mind, but I was like, we're almost there. We have this thing. I start. I think I'm generally a big picture thinker, but when I get stressed or when it gets down to it, I start getting into the minutia, where it's like in Transylvania. I, it's like. We got this dark, it's creepy, we're all crawling around, It's there's a bunch of like dynamic physical changes, and then it's got to be a sharp shift, the light's got to come in here, and Chris has got to spring on to stay, you know, it's like, I'm. we got to get these clean, sort of comedic contrast, and that's where my brain turned, where it's like, they're reaching for him, and then he turns, and then they snap back, like everything's fine, you know, that whole thing. Like I said, you're the polisher. I'm the shaper. Chris is just yeah. raw. <laughs> Hold on. Let, 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 if we're going to talk about acting, I, I want to share our acting memories and feelings. But Chris, yeah. we, we performed this in Steubenville in August, then the next Christmas break. Mm-hmm. You performed Christmas break in Pittsburgh. Was it the last show you performed with the flu? This is like yes. a... Yes. This was is it the like, last or the first? Maybe it the first. It was the last one, for sure. Because okay. I, like, I watched the video today, and at the end we give our thank yous, and we're like, he was throwing up this morning. <laughs> I was, we were yeah. talking about Jordan scored 40 points in the finals. <laughs> yeah, and, and I remember... I remember uh, we uh, we had teed up Joe Jurasco um, to, to try and step in. I, I think he would have done great. Um, that would, that actually, sure. I, I wish I kind of would have just you know late stayed laying down and let Joe take it. Then we we could have some footage of Joe. Uh, it would be funny if we had a DVD or a, or a video 
ended <laughs> where, where there are parts of me and parts of Joe uh, <laughs> in, the, in the same show, playing the same character. Um, yeah, I, I just remember... Uh, I, I don't remember how it came on. Uh, we were, we were, we were going to be going out after the first show for like food. And I said, I, I don't think I can do food right now. I just got to go home. And, um, I think on the way home, uh, from Pittsburgh, I was, uh, I, I think I threw up in a bag and <laughs> that's on air. And, Careful what you say. That's on air. It's a big graphic. Okay. Oh boy. And, uh, I, I fell asleep. I was, I was supposed to be, I was supposed to take Claire. Yeah. Cause Claire had come in from North Carolina. She had flown in to see the show on Christmas break, our senior year. And, uh, she was my Beyonce at that point. Um, I was supposed to be dropping her off that morning before the show. My sister Monica had to drop her off because I was, I, I couldn't drive at that point. And I just remember sleeping for a few hours I was woken up by a phone call from you guys, you know, just kind of checking my status, but also you were kind of giving me an update on, you know, we're, we're working with Joe right now over some lines and some oh music and we're, um, you know, and, uh, you know, don't, don't worry. It's, you know, if we obviously don't want you just throwing up all over the stage. Uh, <laughs> so having Joe step in would be a, would be a better alternative than than you doing that, and I don't know what mm. what kind of batch of vitamins, ibuprofen, water, and maybe some uh, I don't know, maybe maybe some some garlic, maybe I, I took a big <laughs> teaspoon of garlic, but, but I I got jazzed up enough uh, to to show up. I remember and, too. I remember so, we were in the yeah. in the in the basement of that theater, Carnegie Hall of Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And um, you were washing your face at the sink, and I was just like, "You're good." You like washing your face. You're just like, "I'm good." I was like, "All right, <laughs> here we go." Because that's because that's a big feeling right before the show when you're about to charge on stage. Because the show opens with you and me sprinting across stage to gleeful music, uh, best of friends. But I, I remember, uh, yeah. Let me ask you this too. I want to share just acting memories. Chris, were you yeah. did you enjoy like Chris or like the vamp the second half vampire side? Like what what did you feel like you were better at? Because um, you were a good you were good as an innocent young lad, but you were a good young vampire. You I mean there were thunderclaps whenever you insulted people. <laughs> you had all kinds of friends. I honestly I, I think Chris as a character was my least favorite. So but I was just having fun with it. I I don't I don't necessarily I, I just I enjoyed the ride. I enjoyed the transformation. You know, I, I couldn't necessarily have as much fun internally as a uh, newly born vampire um if I hadn't already gone through playing up yeah that that innocent boyish uh victim of a predator. Um, <laughs> so you're talking about the arc you really acted out an arc yeah I, I mean I don't know how uh, watching it uh, I know it kind of makes you cringe it makes me cringe a little bit but um, yeah it was oh it was really still... it surprises uh, me oh yeah yeah I, I 
I guess it's hard to watch yourself anytime. Neither but. of us cringe at you. That's interesting. Well, that's I appreciate that. Yeah, it's I, I think it's plenty cringeworthy, but I'm not afraid to show people. Uh, you guys know uh, I'm, I've never been afraid to show you know cringeworthy stuff uh, of myself <laughs> at any moment. Um, but the same question, though, uh, Bill, I, I did you know watching a. Uh, a refreshener um, of uh, of teeth, you know, I, you know, picking up once again, remembering you know how much of a just kind of a creepy guy you were. Um, <laughs> did you, were you were you aware of of kind of like the looming creep uh, that your your character was um, <laughs> while you're like while you're on stage and you know, putting your hands on on me on my shoulders and uh you know just kind of like just trying to i guess build it up even more yeah i mean i i think acting that character was very fun i for whatever reason love to play villains it's more fun for me and there's something like there's a constant game that i'm playing which is just invading your and everyone's personal space at all times and just kind of making these big snap feelings or trying to establish myself but no one respects me or i'm like feared in some places but completely disrespected at home i think one of the things that watching this and sort of comparing it to how i do improv or am on stage more now is just how physical it is and often i feel like when i'm doing comedy if i am really physical that's when i feel like i'm enjoying it or more in it like i'm in my body because i improv you're writing at the same time which you know some people are better at like making it like they're acting through it but i think my mind works so that where i want the scene i'm like a little outside the scene at the same time most of the time (laughs) the things that i remember are just being absolutely exhausted out of breath after killing 20 people in one scene or just feeling a little nervous to sing because I think like the dancing and the running and then doing the uh, I think some of those scenes where it's like me and you I think they're really fun and I I think I spent maybe more time writing those so I had it almost rhythmically in my mind so it felt very natural to deliver those lines and I didn't feel like I had to perform them so much I probably disproportionately spent time on those writing because I was most excited in the for them. But, you know, I'm also across Nina Pino, who is like an absolute star, killing the song. Bite That Boy just absolutely destroys it. She's like Adina Menzel, a local yeah. version. I mean, I, I here's my basic feelings. I always felt like Chris is the most lovable of characters. Even like I think, even, I even think of my dad. Just if Chris is doing anything on stage, my dad's gonna just laugh. He's like, it's just Chris. Yeah. It's Chris Madden doing something up there. <laughs> Whereas I actually thought that Bill was the the best actor of all of us. I mean, my even your expressiveness, I could never achieve. My cousin Ryan mm-hmm. told me the other day that. Some, his mom was saying something. I don't even remember. He said, like, he, he said, in it, this is just last week, he quoted Teeth to her. He got up on his feet and he said, intimidation is my bread. Then he does the spread move and butter. You know, it's like, 
that's pretty memorable, you know? I mean, even, I couldn't deliver the line the same way as you, you know, when you, your wife is, or when, when, when Denise, your wife is, you putting you down, you know, saying you can't have kids and it's how disappointed she is. And you say, well, why don't you just saw off my fangs? <laughs> There's just a number of things where that's the magic of a vampire. You yelling that full of glee, you guys dancing. I mean, it's true. I think both of you, not to criticize, cause I'm not here for that. You both got somewhat nervous, like having these big sung solos. Like whenever you had to sing, mm-hmm, you were mm-hmm. kind of like, "Here we go. <laughs> hope we can. <laughs> hope this will hold together." Um, yep, with yep. all the other things you have in mind, I, I think I was the opposite. As I was very comfortable singing, I think my acting. Yeah, you're clearly the best musician. But I, I felt like I was the least actor, and I'm not trying to sound humble. I actually, my, I mean, my character was a nice guy. He gets bitten. He's still a nice guy. I never fully felt like I entered into that character. I mean, I guess it was me. It was just a nicer, was it a nicer, it was kind of a more loser version of me. Um, more idealistic and kind of like, oh, yeah, you were more nervous. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I, I think, I, I would say my acting experience was trying to, like, um, I mean, we're also directing this because nobody else mm-hmm. is directing it. So it's getting everything together. It's the excitement, like right before when everybody's backstage, you're like, here we go. People came. We got like a couple hundred people. Let's do this. Let's. Be. But then after all of it begins and there's that adrenaline rush, it is sort of like, you know, your cues. You don't want to make mistakes. The excitement of acting on stage for a live audience, I found, was was actually some of it was just making it through. Once you got off stage, you're like, what a thrill. But in the middle <laughs> of it, you're like locked in, you're focused. And I felt like so much of my time was taken up on the focus of each scene. And then you roll to the next scene. Then you roll to the next scene. I never had like maybe if I were to act for the screen or something it was like multiple takes i would i would actually have the luxury of trying to enter into my character but i always felt like you guys did that much better and i was like i'm just trying to make it through these scenes here we go i mean i i remember opening day in lamb and hall this is the very oh, first man. performance we ever did i was still in the lobby of lamb and hall i i well, that was, was our still... that was but that was our idea is that we we didn't want to stay because we broke the third wall. Remember, like we would we would talk about the audience during the scenes. Transylvania, we physically creep out into the audience. Remember, mm-hmm. we also didn't want to hide backstage. We were actually the greeters, which I love that idea. No, we no, carried no, no. people you don't, you don't to their seats. Four four hours before the show started, I was still trying to get my lines down. <laughs> I like that. That was. That was like the last thing in my mind that I needed to do, like for yeah. the like yeah, yeah. the previous two weeks, everything had been more like actual props, costumes, choreography. Um, I'm still glad we did it. I'm glad we greeted at the door so people saw us right away. Right, but I, I mean, before that, that that's all. I, that's all I remember it was just like like stressing out and because like I knew generally how the dialogue went i was like <laughs> but i was like oh shoot i actually have to like play off of somebody else so i need to like actually know the keywords and you know the, the yeah. keywords that they're gonna leave me and the ones that i'm gonna leave them so it's so it can go smoothly and so i, I, I at least acting wise i was that was for sure um 
most nervous I've ever been. Well, you cr- you, yeah, you cram tough. for the exam. We also, it's amazing to think that we all went back to school for a semester and then we did it again at Christmas without much rehearsal. Yeah, it was, that I think was, was impressive. I think it was five days total. I want to, I want to jump back to opening night. Uh, I, I just think that, you know, we were carrying people down. We were just so nervous, but it was like that kind of nervousness where it was just fully transitioning into energy. Wait, remind me of that. We actually carried people to their seats. So there was someone, I think that there's someone that like, you know how Hyder had the whole, I mean, who's someone who literally wrote their own lines. Like, <laughs> we need to co- come to Kevin Hyder. Yeah. We're getting there. We're we getting do. There. We do. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he uh, there was like the whole dr bob and there was like some adult man who we had to sit in like front right and we carried i don't know was it like mr pancas or something <laughs> no 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 we we carried someone like in like a chair a human chair kind of thing like okay you're, you're to right their Did, seats who was that critic though i uh, the local critic Charlie something. His name was Charlie I, something. Didn't didn't we have him for, for one of the performances? <laughs> he wrote in, in the Dr. newspaper. Bob's chair, right? I, I feel like we had him in the spot of Doctor Bob at least one, oh, for one I think of the we nights. Did. I think you're right. He's so that, that guy. so that Kevin could heckle him. Yeah, was it? It wasn't Galabrese. No, Galabrese. It was Matt Galabrese. But was it? Was it? Wasn't it Charlie? Charlie Calabrese. Calabrese. Yeah, Charlie yeah. Calabrese. That's it. The guy with a laugh. He had a. He just oh, had yeah. a howl. Give us, give us that real quick. What do you remember it as in your ears, your ear oh, memory? I, I don't know. It it was something obnoxious, kind of like, oh, <laughs> I, I don't think it's anywhere close to that. <laughs> That's pretty, that's pretty good though. I, I I started to remember what we're talking about as we. As you did that, so thank you. I remember him doing that back in uh, Mr. Pitkin days. But I want to say the opening night, Lambin Hall, one of my best moments, I think it could be a top life moment, quite honestly, was that it was after that uh, rehearsal where I felt like this isn't going to go well, we're not there, uh, no one's laughing kind of thing. I'm obsessed with pacing, we got to get this faster, it's moving, it's a comedy, you know, like this whole thing. And then... We have just carried everyone down. We just have moments before, and then just our like dumb friends are just howling through the through the audience. And I think it's the three of us standing in that like stage right down in that little well behind the doors where you walk, you go up this uh, to go into the wings, and just being like, "This is it. We're doing it. Let's go get them." You know, like. Just that, whatever that rush of energy is, that's what, like an absolutely the, addictive feeling that I'm still chasing. To what scene day. was that? I remember this that. This was before. This was before it started. Or it, I, I think it was I think like... This, I think the Sophios started that. Or like that Horatio. Makes sense. Wait, and yeah. we, we, were, we were down near the side door just like poking our heads out, right? Right. Yeah. And then I think we were even just door closed, just hearing this echoing howl because it... You know, it started with a couple people, then a ton of people joined in. And then we got like a huge cheer after the first scene. Because like, I'm not in the first scene. I'm just like, I hope this goes well, (laughs) you know. And then you guys get this huge applause at the end of it. And I'm like, oh, my God. 
the and riff, I was just so excited to get riff, out there. I, I knew the riff on the first scene was was magic. I mean, I was nervous, but just just to start a musical with a freaking bang, it's just like ba dun 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 dun. Just like, yeah, happy, we're running around, we're yelling at each other. People are going to be like, what a fun show. Even if the song's not actually that good. I mean, that's an okay song. Friendship Like a Lion. It is a good song. I feel like that was the one that we played a hundred times for people right. at like Michael Vince's house. But that's, like, o- that's, that's o- the one we had locked down early. But that's only an opener. I mean, that song's just kind of like opening the jar, you know. Here's a musical. Yeah. Yeah, it's anyway. lighthearted, full of fluff and energy. I mean, the it, only prop on stage for the first scene is a bench, which I think we jump on once or twice. It wasn't a <laughs> complex scene. We're just singing this happy song. Yeah, exactly. Chris and Chris and Tim are friends, established. Moving on, you know. Boom. Yeah, that's uh, man. What was the other thing I was saying? Oh, it was about the acting. I remember mm-hmm. when we were, Tim, you were talking earlier about how you're like, you never felt like you totally got it. I remember some of those conversations where we were like, okay, what is a good example of what we're even trying to do? I remember we all, this goes back to kind of the same energy that we used to create this show, which was when we all went to New York City together for the first time with Johnny Fisher and Patrick Mansfield. Right. And uh, we all uh, were matching ties and told people we were in uh, a band called Maternal Badger. No, and Madden told them we were called <laughs> Maternal Badger on the subway. No one else yeah. made that up except for Chris. And then what, what, I don't yeah. know. If, I don't know if I can take all. I, I don't know about that. I feel like you get that, but we saw "I Love You Because," which was a off Broadway. Off Broadway. By the way, guy, I, also, I also added that, Notre Dame guy. I added that on the subway we were uh, aspiring towards jazz fusion. That was our genre. Jazz. Fusion. <laughs> we were touring the Jersey coast, Jersey Shore, with a uh, jazz fusion band playing local small spots. Now I remember, now, I remember seeing that Off Broadway show, and there was a character in it that you were like, okay, I remember you saying, okay, this is the first person that makes sense for me to use as a model kind of i will also say i just rewatched it today and maybe we'll cut this part out but this i think the scenes that we wrote with like you and dervin and the girls and madeline or maybe like for as creepy as i am like those ones are like pretty mean to women because <laughs> it's kind of like college guy yeah college bro and then just these like dumb women
I mean, it's kind of like you and Madeline are the thoughtful, like, good people, but then they're just like, he's so smart and rich, and we like smart, rich guys, you know? And it was just like, okay, I can see why it would be harder to act in this sort of, like... That's why I called it Saved by the Bell earlier. Yeah. It's, uh... Yeah. But it was kind of... I mean, it it was kind of mutual. It was like guys and girls, college age, being shallow. I don't know if that's gone away. I don't know if I would comfortably... Not at all. I mean, there's still those those character caricatures we we're going after of just like, you know, the the d like because for every d bag out there, there's a gr- easy there's a, now, easy now. Whoa, there's a girl that for some reason uh, is like tricked into him. Be- they're thinking he's some, uh, I don't know, some big some big shot or some some Casanova, some and I some, think- sl- some slick operator i think that there is a truth to it that we're almost paralleling with the vampires where it's like the sort of ridiculous lengths men go to to sort of try and date women in a weird way Mm -hmm. you know these vampires have this allure or almost a curse and then this guy just like lifts and goes around demanding massages from women, which is <laughs> <laughs> kind of a ridiculous thing. I mean, I think it's for sure equal opportunity, but Kevin Hyder's thing is also all about how women are cheating on him and his wife left him in his trash. And I was like, it just like added up to the point where I was like, okay, if I ever did this again, I'd have to change some of this. <laughs> It I don't was, think it's, like, cruel, but you know what I mean. It was amazing, though, because Kevin was in town. Wasn't he taking summer classes? That's why he was He was. Mm. And he was kind of, he was uh, living up on Bell. And I remember we, we did have some ideas, but I think we just, we thought it would be a minor thing. Where, Kevin, why don't you write some narrations? It'd be nice to kind of move things along. And he mm-hmm. turned it more into, I don't. it's, it's sort of like a Brooklyn... I guess he was kind of a Bronx, Brooklyn character, maybe. just left the train station. He's got a spring in his step and a song in his heart. Isn't that sweet? Now, as he enters the Black Forest, he comes across some of our woodland folk on the way. To whom he inquires. Like yeah, I think we no, had... He, we he had was, narrations he was trying to be like a, jokes. We had very, like, brief narrations that kind of, like, just push things along... And he he became like a king of comedy, De Niro, kind of washed up. Um, it's like a dinner theater comedian. And my yeah, exactly. for some reason too, I, I don't know how this should be interpreted, but my aunts, like three or four of my aunts on my dad's side that came in from Chicago, mm-hmm. they they all just thought he was the best. Or like that narrator. <laughs> he, yeah, I mean, he got their number. So it's yeah. it's also it's also it's a, he's a very good performer. I I think it just happened. Um, I don't think we intended this. That we we thought it was funny that the narrator was coming in so late into the show, and we were yes. also working on everything else. Like not to be cheap, but like whatever he was going to put together, as long as it like was sort of, we're just like great. Go I remember right. talking to him, being like, and we hammered out the idea that the narrator is late because he just got dumped and he's slowly unraveling through the show and getting drunker. So it's like you see the narrator making the show personal to his life. And then, and and I think I was just kind of like unravel whatever you want to do. And he like made it this like, bah, (laughs) the the whole, uh, even before that, 
originally all we, we we only wanted a narrator in the show to uh, kill him off at the end. We actually didn't really have <laughs> um, we, we didn't actually originally have a, uh, a a place for a narrator or like or see a, a need for a narrator. But I, I think when he comes into halfway through the first act is the first time you see him. Um, it all of a sudden like completely changes. Um, just just the the pace and tone of the show. So it was almost like the show's pretty good. It's going well. And then all of a sudden you, you all of a sudden you get like one of the biggest supporting characters right. in the show just shows up. Thirty and, minutes in, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one of the things that I think because I think we had those kind of transitional things trying to explain what happened because we're moving around. And the other thing is I remember wanting to put in some sort of device like that, that we could put in front of the curtains so that we could keep the show moving while we were changing the sets behind the curtains. So Mm -hmm. I was almost thinking of it like from a tech perspective of like, we just need time because that was the point where we were doing like the cross cutting between uh, Chris in Transylvania and Tim back in America. Speaking of tech real quick, we're going to come back to Kevin Hyder. Um, David Cohen, our mutual friend, he yes. was he was on props and sets and stuff, and he actually he 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 started to feel left out because the show was becoming a big hit. So in the Pittsburgh show, he would roll out the bathroom sinks for when I when I get I I'm using the girls' restroom on accident, and I get and I'm washing my hand, and I go to wash my hands at the sink, and Cohen's there on the other side of the sink, just laying down, giving me this big thumbs up with that <laughs> with that flashlight on his head, being like, "I'm here, I'm on stage with you." I'm like, hey, Cohen. I'm glad. I'm glad you got on stage for a scene. Dude, you stole it. So funny. I will say this too. A lot of this was in collaboration. The interesting thing about the Hyder piece was that he his narrations. I mean, Kevin's work habits too. I don't know about today, but at least years back, he had these classic habits of being very creative, getting great at whether that's music whether that's video editing, because he edited our DVD, or whether that's writing this mm-hmm. narration, usually yeah. at like 3 a.m. alone. He was just pulling all-nighters alone, and then he'd come the next day and be like, I have this great material. But but you didn't know. You'd have to wait sometimes like two weeks, and you'd get on his case. He's like, yeah, I got some things going on. Then all of a sudden, he pulls one of those nights, and it's just, uh, it's like, all right, it's ready, I guess. It's a ready product. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that, that's, wow, that's came basically still him. There you go. You know who else was that show. way? Bob Marley was that way. He he apparently wrote all of his music at like 3, mm-hmm. 4, 5 a.m. when he couldn't sleep, foot of the bed. Yeah, just... Hmm. I'm gonna, I think I'm not going to edit much of this. No, People this, are just going to have to understand that this is a two-hour episode. This is, this is Tim, I've got one for you while Chris is away. I remember just thinking of all the, like, these are maybe less fun stories, but all the just the little favors we had to dial in in order to get the, like, lighting and then the place, like, the hall. I remember me, you, and I think your dad were at, like, a Philharmonic. Maybe it was, like, the Wheeling Philharmonic, and he had some friend that we met out in the field there who was, like, that was for it was 5th of the July, or was it the 3rd? It was right around 4th of July. They used to play that, like, symphony concert with mm-hmm. the 1812 Overture by Tchaikovsky, always at the end. Yeah. Wait, did we get somebody to do lights or, or, or mics? That was microphones. 
I think so. We got Mr. Costello to do something. The lighting, I think. But we didn't yeah. have at our high school. We had already—that's the key thing too. We should mention we were—we did this at our high school auditorium after we had graduated. What? Yeah, three years, two years, and we raised money for the program because I think they like didn't put up a show the year before or something. And right. You know, I forgot about the we Silvestri we, and we did get audio and mic equipment be, with the help of those wheeling contacts yeah and then we got i remember i think it was the franciscan av department to fix some stuff for us it's amazing just how how much video cameras have improved like personal like shooting something on your phone is like would be much higher quality now oh, in yeah. like a shocking way. And the two people filming the the DVD we now have is just my dad's one angle and my uncle John Fisher. Just and they're the guys that would always it, film. It looks good. Oh yeah. And like Kevin cut together two different or like three different shows. I think. Right. So I think he's combining Liam and Hall and. And they did that. I mean, they were the ones filming our childhood, so they kind of just. They had practice, like 30 yeah. hours of practice filming birthday parties, sledding at Jeff Tech, whatever else. <laughs> what are the memories of other actors? Like, who else? I mean... Yeah, I mean, we got, we're talking about us. Let's talk about this cast, because, I mean, we wrote this basically to do a show with our friends that we hadn't seen and or we didn't get to do stuff with anymore. I mean, we've got Aaron Dickey, who's a vampire mm-hmm. hunter... With an incredible singing voice. And I think I rewatching it today, I realized one of my favorite jokes is he him walking in after the ballet scene is over. And all these bodies strewn across the stage, and he trips over someone. Is just like, hmm, strange place for a nap. And then he like finds one hair under a magnifying glass. It is like I know he's been here. It like amidst all this carnage. I think that's just like a classic Mel Brooks joke. His uh, his wooden stake too that he eventually stabs you in the heart with, and you get carried off. So just two brief inspirations. That yeah. was actually just a wooden stick from our vegetable garden at the Danaher household. Remember, we had those stockpiled in, <laughs> oh, the, yeah. in the shed built by the Amish my dad hired. Second thing <laughs> is, the funeral hymn, we kind of carry you off. Your body's like draped, you know, being being carried by this crowd of people. That was inspired by the final scene of Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet when he's murdered. <laughs> I just had these images, like Bill has to be carried off in glory, even though he's a creep, you know. That's so funny. <laughs> And everyone's uh, sad about it, and it's true. And then we keep—it's funny, like we keep adding these voice of reason things, which you don't see much in musicals. But it's just like, why are you guys sad? Because like, there really is a sad feeling. I think the audience is sad and doesn't want my character to be gone. Well, you're funny. I mean, you're, yeah, yeah, dynamite, so, man, taking the then, dynamite off the stage. <laughs> and then everyone's just like. You he killed your friends and family, and then one of my favorite lines that I forgot was like the carpe diem line. That was I think it's Julia Weiss is like carpe what death, and then you 
Chris screams, Carson, Carpe Diem, everything is fine. <laughs> and then it like that's the last line that's of, the the end show. of the show. That's the last line. That's the story. The show is done. The former monsters have had their fun. They love each other, and so should you. So drive home safely, and good night too. That's it. Yeah. Wrap it up. Oh. Shut it down. I mean, it's, it's a drop off. That's yeah. like that's like the low end of the deep end drop off of an ending. Yeah. It's yeah. a tragedy, ultimately, because even in Redemption, you still have to face justice, and you just get killed, and then uh, we sing. Uh, who else? I mean, it, it was interesting rewatching it, where I was like, "Man, we have so much talent just like dancing in the background in this show." It's like Joe Jurasco is just my minion, better singer than probably all three of us, right. <laughs> you know. A lot of dancers, a lot of minions. I mean, I love Hit Machine. Ian Anderson was one of the minions. Perfect minion. Perfect minion. Great in the... Where he in We're Perfect, where he dresses up as a janitor. And ports, throws a cup behind him. <laughs> a and solo comes cup. Up. A solo yeah. cup. Red solo. Yeah. And I also Ian remember... just grabs it and shakes his head. Kevin, we were going to have him sweep it off stage, but it was too loud. But Kevin Joyce... <laughs> my neighbor he was the yep. original bobby fisher who's killed in the trans because that's a whole thing bobby fisher is killed by transylvania community and then he actually called me that because i think it, it winter he was just stressed out by it and it, he was really nervous and he basically said like um I, i'm not gonna be in this next production and we we're like what we we got somebody to quit Joyce? on us Bobby Fisher quit. So then Shrek was both Bobby Fisher and Mr. Rogers. I forgot about that transition. Yeah. The only one to quit. But I don't blame him. I mean, I'm sure it was stressful. Yeah, Maria yeah. Sagenberger. I mean, that whole, the whole, like, Rogers family is just a standalone scene that is Katie like Herman. four minutes of excellence. Yeah, Katie Herman's it, great. It's like a mini sitcom. Now, and, what about, too, we need, we need to talk briefly about because Laura did all the choreography, she was Madeline, yeah. but Laura Jurasco also did all the choreography. I mean, most of it. You you got into that though, Billy D. You were kind of like her understudy in choreography. That's true. I think I was kind of like, just what about this move or something like this? And then she would actually do it. Or I would do a bunch of moves and be like, oh, how about this? Or just do like 10 iterations. And then she could actually remember it hmm. and then string it together and put it to account. We also, though, as a group, we kind of had this idea of a lot of there, there's a lot of time on the ground staging wise. I don't think most shows, I mean, people are wrestling, fighting, dying, lounging fishing mm-hmm. there's a lot of time on the wood floor of the stage and we just go for it i remember i mean you aren't wearing shoes <laughs> one of the things that stood out to me re-watching it was how many scenes end with someone sprinting away and fleeing the <laughs> stage which i don't think is usually a common thing that happens in shows you don't usually end a scene by running away and someone being like now you come back here <laughs> Every so, scene. There was, yeah, there was, it was either that or three, like three scenes were of Christopher or Count William 
just staring straight at the audience, waiting for the lights to cut out. And then it was almost the majority of the rest were, yeah, just like the scene ended by like a literal exit. It was, it was like we, we brought the scene to a literal end. Now, one of the most unique scenes that I, in, in my mental review of Teeth, when I'm sort of just generally passing it over in my mind, a flyby, if you will, I skip over a lot of times, um, not that's the magic of a vampire, because that's the restaurant scene where you guys bite a lot of waitresses, and that's actually a pretty good kick line. You guys have that kick line at the end. But what's the one where you're, it's like the uh, Mexican duet between you Come and Laura. Come my sweet. Come my sweet. It's after the ballet scene which, where which, they run away. Which I think is a good song. <laughs> it's kind of one of those songs like when, when an artist has an album and it's just like they want to try to get in more genres. It's like, well, we might as well throw in something a little Spanish, you know. <laughs> but Chris actually comes on stage with like a tasseled sombrero. And for some reason, like, before and after that scene, you never take on the persona of Zorro, except for those few moments. It's just like, <laughs> it's just like if we're going to really get serious in this relationship, let's get Spanish. Yeah, like, how are we going to show Chris seducing? Because I think, like, there is always, I think whenever vampires are done well, there's an Antonio Banderas quality to that. You're right on that. And maybe it does come from watching Zorro, you know, back as a kid. But I, I think that was, that was more about I had this riff on the piano, and it's just like, let's fit, let's fit in this music. We're trying to match music to scene. And I remember, like, we wanted to make sure every scene, no matter what its plot purpose was, had something very stupid or not serious about it. And one of my favorite things, and one of the things that made me laugh maybe the most watching it, was Laura playing the trombone being handed a trombone from the pit just to finish the it's just really funny I actually didn't think that I thought that was like sort of a good idea and then she did it and for some reason my uncle John from Chicago he he just mentioned me this last summer he goes that trombone scene he goes gosh that was good some just like <laughs> stood out to him I was like yes yeah, I still think it's okay you know I think the the pit that we had like the perfect friends to just fill in for us and play the music but I, I wish we would have done a little bit more um, heckling or terrifying or, or some breaking the fourth wall gag with with the pit or the musicians. I, I uh, see seeing when uh, when when Bill uh, went over and terrified them. I just, I just thought that was just uh, like a just a, just a great bit, like almost almost genius, and it was just just great. Like they were all just so like uh emo- emotionless yeah yeah, yeah just, arms waving in the air <laughs> just, just just barely any emotion just throwing their arms up and going ah just npcs and i yeah, exactly. i also try to negotiate when i when me and laura are getting back together and we're going to sing a duet i negotiate the key it's like give me like a piano note here 
There yeah. were there was some here. We could have done more back and forth. We could. Since Gossett Simmons, Phil, um, they got one of Phil Gossett. was on Phil Phil Valer was on bass and guitar. Both uh-huh. Gossets because Mike was on drums and Matt That's was on right. trumpet. That's right. Mm-hmm. And then Chris Simmons on piano. I think it was just those four. There was a guy who played guitar in the Christmas or the winter show. Okay. Uh, I just met him briefly for it. He was one of Gossett's friends. But as I remember on the, I think it was like the Come My Sweet where you do the kind of Chris's sort of seducing. It, it, first it's the trumpet and then he's seducing oh. Laura. It's kind of like Sing For Me and Fan of the Opera where he like, you're sort of dancing and then they're doing back and forth matching pitches. Which is probably the fun highlight of that song, I think. Plus, Chris doing a mouth solo, like trying to, trying to like imitate <laughs> yeah. an electric guitar or trumpet, and to do that on stage in front of a paying audience is actually... Given your musical shortcomings, that's actually like ambitious. You know, doing that in a basement is fine, but <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> even you, when you were pitched that, you're like, "We really gonna, we really gonna go for this? I'm gonna just do a guitar solo with my mouth like seven times." Yeah, it was hard to. It was really hard to match up. Didn't went for it though. I feel like we got to shout out more of the ensemble cast here. You got yep. like Leo, Lenore, and Jen. I mean, they were like main players. Bortz is mm-hmm. great. Bortz mm-hmm. is like looking strong as hell. He's, he's. <laughs> I mean, Bortz has always been a good actor. Probably the strongest actor. And we gave him this ridiculous version of himself slash Pat Mansfield. Then kind you got of, like Tony Grant. Tony you got, Grant. Yeah. Uh, Chuck Dickey. Charlie. They were both playing like both, a southern man, but also kind of both part of the Minions. They were part of the Minions. Yeah. And Jen, too. Jen and Lenore in real life, I mean, Lenore, I think, was raised, you know, very sort of proper. And mm-hmm. and it's to have to have her and Jen side by side as like these college girls, it, I, I kind of was just like, you you got this part? Is, is that okay? I mean, you're, you're good with you good with this? Yeah. They're just like, yeah, we'll be fine. It's like, okay. Because it didn't match in, exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, she performed it really well, but it is like, you're not, we're not saying you're like this. I remember we saw Jen as uh, Adelaide in, was it Wheeling uh, or Wheeling Catholic? Weird and Madonna. Weird and Madonna. Madonna, That's it. And we thought she was so good. We were just like, she's not part of our Steubenville acting group, but we should invite her. We got Joe Jurassic to invite her, right? That's right. Mm Mm-hmm. And it comes back to Brook Hills once again. <laughs> That's yeah, where they Yeah, Joe's met. so good. We even had Michael... I mean, Michael Vince is someone who was just in the ensemble, which is insane. Because he's so talented. Yeah. yeah. But he was also kind of off at college and... Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, true. I mean, Vince is an incredible at everything on stage, you know. Did we... Was he... Was he did he participate in both... I think maybe uh, just maybe just the second. He may have just jumped in the ensemble cast for the Christmas show. Yeah, yeah I don't remember exactly. Uh, I remember it being a, a bigger deal that we got Vince. Um, more right. more so than him just like kind of jumping on with the original cast. It was like like kind of like an icing on the top kind of uh, 
um, get yeah. for the cast. We have like Caitlin Dowsch and Julia Weiss, and I'm trying to. It's hard to remember because there's just like literally so many people. There's times where I literally forgot Leo was in it. Kristen like, Fisher, the cousin. Kristen Fisher, mm-hmm. of course. Was my brother Kevin in it? No. 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 I don't think Kevin was, was doing in his it. Own he gets thing. a shout out for running away from home. That's right. I got to tell you, my, my sister Bernadette um, had uh, had some sour grapes over me, never ever asking her if she wanted to jump in on the uh, ensemble. Oh, no. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. Never even never even thought she wanted she would want to. Well, we have to admit that some of this was like our focus on the show, but there's a little self-absorption. Like every everybody in the ensemble cast, they're better singers than us. They're better actors in some way, and they're mm-hmm. more experienced and more connected. We were always the three of us like we're kind of like the we're, we're we're like the good bench warmers. We always rode the bench in high school musicals, but we thought we had a little more talent than that. And it was like our chance to be like, let's write our own musical after we graduate, and then we get to be the stars. <laughs> there was a little bit of that. Come on, for sure. I think that that's true because you know can't I don't know if any of us can hit a high G, which you need to in order to sing any part in a... Right. Maybe you can, Tim, but... Nope. To, Not doing to it. Do, to do any part in a, like, male part in a musical, unless you're playing an old man, you got to have that range. What do you guys think, when we when we look back at comparing it to other vampires, even though we we're obviously not well-versed in a lot of vampire things... Yeah, let's, let's get back to the film analysis. <laughs> Is this an hour and 40 minutes later... <laughs> Is this actually is this actually you know a vampire musical or is it mostly a musical that we just uh put vampire clothes on? I wonder. Mm. Cuz vampire is a whole genre that we're st- we weren't into and we're still not into. That's the funny thing. Like we're not really uh-huh. into this stuff. Yeah. yeah I- <laughs> no, you're you're totally right. I I saw it always as just an opportunity to completely make fun of. Well, I thought the funniest thing was exactly that. Um, we're just we're doing it not necessarily because we even care or have any long history of this. Like we we already discussed, you know, it's not like we none of us had a, a any kind of good background for uh, for using this source material. There there was it was just uh, we just thought it was a, a funny setting. Um, for sure, we we also jokes. did. Speaking of our jokes, I I remember I made digital copies of this. I sent these to you. Remember we had that joke journal. Now this is when we were in drama club for other high school shows, but we were making mm-hmm. up skits backstage or other jokes, and we put them yeah, in a yeah, journal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We th- lost some of it, right? But I remember there were some that lived on, like dogs meeting in a field. <laughs> the sk- I remember something just kind too of us running. A guy driving a car, pretty lights, and he goes after. Or is he riding a bicycle and he goes into a car? What was that? <laughs> oh yeah, he was like drawn by the lights on the road. And then, like, then, then Shrek, Shrek was like had a had a cooking show. He's like, look, like there was barbecue or something. I forget. <laughs> all, all I mean, I, these are all lights out premises. <laughs> <laughs> all I know is that some of those jokes did make it into the show. Like, we actually took our joke journal from high school and during the college show, like, said, what of these can we put in our show? Because we want to take our years of jokes and fit them in. I think that that's one of the best things about the show is that we had a big project that we took two years of our best jokes or more, like, 
two to four years of our best jokes and just put them into one project. And uh, I actually wonder, yeah, too, I, mean, if, I wonder if these vampire movies took as long as we did. A, they weren't all friends on staff. The second guy, who's, who's the Dutch guy? Werner, Vernhard. Er, Carl Dreyer. Carl Dreyer. He was known, apparently, as, like, really being a tyrant and making his actors kind of, like, suffer under his weight. I mean, I'm not mm. saying he was doing that so much here, but it's like, I think there's something special in that. We spent a long time, and we were friends... I just think there's that special something versus like yeah just a just a director like here's my work it's it's not a single guy. There's interesting thing about Dreyer too is that he would go like eleven years without making a film. He made like a couple films and they're all amazing films. He's not someone who's putting out a film every year and some of them are like pretty good and some of them are masterpieces mm. like a Hitchcock or whatever. I mean although mm. Hitchcock's generally all high quality. But he's he's like, you know, it's weird to take 14 years off of making films and then come back with a masterpiece. Right. But, you know, I, th- I think that there's something there where you you only do it when you really have something that you're passionate about rather than just being like, it's time to do it. And I think to answer your earlier question about did we make a vampire musical or is this like, I think that on some level what we were doing was like, a pastiche it wasn't an overt parody but it was like we were drawing from a lot of musical tropes that musical theater tropes and some of it was literally the frustration of a lot of the silliness or the unreality of musical theater Hmm. that we had i think experienced playing sort of minor parts in these plays so, I mean, that's sort of the whole, the whole thing when we did Little Women, you know, we did I Would Do Anything for Love, or it's the, these kind of more serious roles bringing out this extreme silliness. But I think it's like borrowing these elements or tropes or themes from different shows and then kind of trying to take the best or our favorites of different things. And really this attitude of, Oh, what what if we did this? Or how crazy would it be if? And then just putting it on, which... I think there's also just some element of, like... No one where we are from does this. There's no other examples that we could point to of someone writing and staging a show like this. It That's felt That's like true. it had this novelty. And, I mean, we wrote a lot of the jokes specifically for this audience. We have a couple jokes that are just literally lines from church hymns like what child is this right when you bite chris and he collapses into your arms what child is this anyone would get that though that's i mean durbin refers to himself as the table of plenty i don't know if that's a universal joke that's true you'd have to have gone to catholic mass in the 90s just these adult contemporary catholic songs but that's that's still like in and of itself that is still a a phrase that is um, douchey enough um, for for anybody to get. Pardon my language once again. I'm perfect, just, I'm re- perfect language. It's fine. It's beautiful. <laughs> oh my god! I I don't even. I think it's funny. I don't. Even, I don't think you guys. I don't know if you remember this, but I, I also just. I I don't really like musical theater. Um, <laughs> really. Can I've you can never... hold on? Hold the mic closer. This this these 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 words matter. Sorry. Oh, okay. Um, 
I don't even really like musical theater. There's just something boring about it to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, you could have said this earlier in the interview, you know? No, I would like I, to thank everyone who's still with us right now. I don't know if you're driving or maybe you're just washing 500 dishes. Raises the question, is there anyone with us? That's a great I question. Mean, I'm, a, I'm excited, Bill, to see what you're what your editing chops are like i, I i'm i'm thinking this is going to be cut down to a solid 40 minutes <laughs> no he's not thinking that this is i might be able to trim <laughs> five minutes off this and literally the amount of work that would go into it what what how do you feel about musical theater i think people want to hear this okay. they want to hear this late night sesh between these three brilliant minds <laughs> reflecting on their monumental work Launched so, fourteen years earlier. I think I, I think I should qualify it. I I do from time to time like going and seeing a live show. Um, but as far as watching it, anything on TV or listening to the actual music itself, just on the album, just makes me want to like, uh, I don't know, box my own ears to go deaf. <laughs> Wow, I actually like musicals. I mean, what, let me let me pitch some good ones at you. West Side okay. West Side Story. I like the I like the I like the suite, the eighteen minute suite. Yeah, that's not the answer I was looking for. Have you seen Lion King on stage? No, and like like I said, um, if based on the production and you know the. The, the live aspect of it is is great, but actually just taking the live energy of, of the performance and um, and actually being present there seeing it compared to even just watching it on television or just hearing um, you know hearing on my sound system the music um, probably three quarters of it uh, I, I I just I really don't enjoy it all. Wow. It's interesting. I think, like, my... I used to really like musicals, or at least a select few. And I think my taste for them has waned over the years. I think that they, they exist in a sort of, like, unreality. Where it's not even... It's I don't even know if it's, like, rosy-colored, or it's... It's, like, camp... It's somewhere in between, like, a true campy genre and like a comedy, like musical comedies usually aren't funny. And I think that was one of the things we were trying to do is write one that was actually funny mm. because it's usually like someone's being silly or goofy in a way that's, I don't know. It's like sweet or something. There's like a, and maybe it's just like they're truly earnest. There's just like a real genuineness to them and an unwillingness to deal with reality. So I think part of what we were doing is like, what if all this awful stuff happens <laughs> to all these characters and then you have to deal with it within a musical. But I also, you know, I still like company. I like West Side Story. I like Les Mis. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. I liked Phantom until I just thought about it too much. And it's like some of the songs are still good, but it doesn't make any sense. And then that you get, it's like, oh, this guy's, uh, you know, he's like haunting this woman, kind of. She thinks it's her dad, but also she's in love with him. 
and and then it's he's this weirdo, but she loves him for his dark, mysterious soul. See, I don't but know. Also, how- it's just Jared Butler with a birthmark on his face, or <laughs> movie 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 musicals are the worst. I don't care which one anybody names, unless it's Bollywood, it's trash. But I would say this. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that um, I remember going to like some some family friends uh, when we were kids over in Laybell. I forget their family name, and like the guy was playing Phantom of the Opera, and it was it was during family party, so I wasn't really listening in. I remember my dad playing like West Side Story or Les Mis, and a few of these when these adults were playing this music, I was I was drawn by that as a kid. I was like, this is some adult thing that's beautiful. And, um, mm-hmm. but I think musicals for me, it's, it's hard to describe my headspace. I mean, it's kind of like if it's a good musical, even if it's decent, I can easily for two hours or so kind of be uh, drawn in and to be like, okay, but I, but, but I'm a little ashamed later. People are like, do you like musicals? It's like, well, I don't know if I'll go that far. I mean, I don't know if I like them, but I, but then I can tell you my favorite ones and get into a debate about which ones are actually of merit. Uh-huh. So, and, and then mm-hmm. I, you, you might even mention, well, actually, me and my friends we wrote one and um, I've been in one. But it's 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 funny because it's 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 a genre that I do like, but I never think of unless I'm watching one. It's like a cigar. Now, hear me out. Hold on. People would say you okay, smoke cigars, you know, and it's just like I mean, not not really, but if if I do, you do have one, right? If I do, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's like if I once I do commit to a cigar, it's like this is this is worth my time. This is I might have an opinion about this afterwards. Anyway, I think that there's something true, and I maybe undersold my appreciation of musicals because the good ones can transport you, but the bad ones make you realize how much artifice there is. Like, I don't know if you guys saw The Greatest Showman. I which, did. Which, like, there's parts of it that are, like, there, there's a lot of spectacle and wow, and it's, like, really cool. But I'm watching this being like, this is a gritty story about exploita- exploitation that is just being absolutely papered over to be like, wow, what a nice guy. He put all these freaks in the circus and gave them a voice. And I'm like, this is... This should be a really dark story. But then you switch back to acrobats falling in love. Yeah. Zandaya and mm-hmm. what's the guy's name? Zac Efron. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. And then you're like, oh, it's fun. But it, but mm-hmm. is, is is that kind of so com- – we talked about this comedy, I guess musicals as well. You can treat things lightheartedly in a way that's like, whoa, should you treat that topic so lightheartedly? But mm-hmm. it can be a way of – yeah. I mean, I don't know what I'm saying. It's almost 1 a.m., yeah, <laughs> this is this happens wow. when we talk. This this happens when we talk. I mean, this is bringing me back to being in Chris Madden's car, and we're driving home. It's well, late at night. Was that a Pontiac? and we've missed the same Ozymandias? I think is the name of the car. Look upon ye mighty. <laughs> <laughs> Who actually wrote that? Percy Bysshe Shelley. I think yeah, so. It was. What yeah. kind of car was that? Uh, it was a, uh, a 1991 Toyota Corolla five-speed that was so rusted out. I, I could I could almost feel like there, there, the floor was paper thin, and I could actually see like holes in the road. Uh, why? If you so took up, if you took up the map, the uh, the floor mat. 
I remember we were one time in a conversation where I don't remember what we were driving back from, but we missed our exit by 10 minutes a good six or seven times. We... And we just kept being like, how did we do it again? And it was like, it, it I was, don't remember... It was, it was supposed to be like a 20-minute drive, and it turned out to be like an hour and a half. Yeah, exactly. And it was just... I was like, how? Because I wasn't driving, I think. And I was just like, Chris, are we supposed to turn? And you're like, oh, yeah, we missed it. And it just kept happening over and over. And it was... I forget what we were debating. It was probably, it was probably something about the universe. Or- well, let me give you this, too, a little philosophical. Right. I meant to say this earlier, because we in the car would debate everything from culture, God, our own life choices. But here's another thing, too. I remember getting philosophical about teeth in that we had spent a lot of time and blood and sweat and tears on comedy. And I just remember thinking as we got closer to the show, even backstage beforehand, like what? maybe this was too too high a notion, but I was thinking, like, what do I want people to get out of this? What do I hope this is for them. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of like what it was sort of this question, even backstage before you go on to perform a comedy. It's like, well, what's comedy supposed to give people? And it's sort of like I came I, I came to a conclusion at the mirror, actually. And uh, there's a lot there about, mm. you know, it was just sort of like, I think if you give people joy and uh, you do that for just one night of their life, it's like, that's probably worth our efforts. And I don't know if I stand behind that conclusion, but I actually haven't come much further towards an answer. Now, I do think comedy can be sort of treating serious themes, but I'm not sure we were doing that. We were more just taking fun college years and putting in our jokes, and I do think it was more of a farce and more just fun, and there is value in just that, to give people a two-and-a-half-hour experience of, like, that was so fun, great night, moving on with life. I, I, I'm not saying that's the only way comedy can be used, but it's kind of mm-hmm. it's kind of pure comedy, and we're actually just going for laughs, really. Can I get on a soapbox for comedy Please. for a second? Please. Honestly, on- this will be the trailer for the show. <laughs> You can get on soapboxes multiple. All right, so I think comedy is the closest thing you can get to the to the resurrection while on earth. There he is. Heaven on earth. I enough said. Don't need to explain that. No. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> No, Kel, please. This, is, this isn't philosophy. This is mysticism. I'm not cutting you off. I'm encouraging you. Keep going. Okay, thank you. Um, just essentially, when you look at comedy, you, you plenty of people can treat it as a lower art form, and that's fine um, because they, they, they put so many different things, I, th- I would say so many more busy things, ahead of comedy and you you extrapolate that out into your life there's so many times where um you you think i don't have them i don't have the ability or the opportunity or the time to just take a break take a moment have a genuine good laugh or a genuine just solid moment with um an individual friend a family member spouse um just to truly enjoy kind of the 
the hope and the goodness of life. And I think um, I was listening to your guys' um, Seventh Seal episode, and I think that strawberry scene where the uh, the knight mm-hmm. is kind of just giving thanks and just just in the moment enjoying uh, that moment for what it is. I think that's that's as close as you can get to um, a resurrection lifestyle of, of just being in the moment, full of gratitude, um, full of appreciation, enjoyment for for what is um, right before you. And I think that's that's really what uh, what comedy does uh, first and foremost. You have to be a hundred percent in the moment and in the context to get it, or you miss it. Um, it fills your belly with a good feeling, so so much so where you make weird noises coming out that echo throughout whatever room or hall you're in, and uh, and it's just it's a it's something that's collective, it's something that's unifying mm-hmm. and universal. Um, so when everyone's laughing together, it's almost like a heavenly choir singing um, in a kind of a, a resurrected a resurrected state. Um, there's an element of hope and joy that just can uh, can be can be a moment, but joy is to be internalized and kept. Not the same thing as happiness, which can be just um, felt from the outside. Uh, but once that outside source is gone, happiness can be gone as well. Um, so I think comedy has a certain depth and genuineness that people want to overlook because they say, "Yeah, that's good," but I've got I've got taxes to file or I've got these other things to do. And ultimately once like the seventh seal death is the great equalizer and, uh, and our busyness, uh, our other things, our task lists, um, all that ultimately can be, can be kind of reduced to nothingness. Um, but when you have those, those genuine, sincere quality moments, uh, filled with mirth, with joy, with, with hope, um, that's the that's all found in comedy. Let me jump yeah. in. Let me jump in real quick. I'll be brief. Just to give you the golf clap for your yeah discourse, eloquent. But I think too, tragedy can be life affirming. So maybe I didn't tell Billy DePiro this clearly in years past, but he and I were driving in my black Honda Accord '96 Bess. <clears throat> And I remember we were driving near the near the uh, Assisi Heights up on campus. It was some sort of break or something. I think you were visiting Notre Dame during fall or spring break from Notre Dame, fall or spring back to Steubenville. Mm-hmm. I was telling you about my thesis. I was trying to work on on, on Shakespearean tragedy. And I was trying to find out why people like tragedy. And you said in a single line in the in the shotgun passenger seat, it's probably something because tragedy reminds us of how much life is worth even when it's lost. And I was like, yep, that sounds like the best answer I'm ever going to find. And that rung very true, and you may not even remember that. I actually wrote my... I don't se- remember that. I wrote my senior thesis on King Lear and on Hamlet, basically trying to find scholarship to back up our conversation. Really, your statement in the car to be like, I, that's the conclusion? Let me find scholarship <laughs> to support this? But I, 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 I would... so funny. I would add to it. I, I didn't mean to like hide yeah. that from you. I was just busy. And then I finished it and moved on in life. You probably told me at some point, but I forgot. Yeah. 
that you wrote my senior thesis. You, you, you gave the conclusion in a single conversation. But, and that conversation lasted like a minute 30 max. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think to, that, that what I've kind of learned further reflection, which goes with Chris, is I think art, comedy or tragedy – can both be life-affirming. Human life is valuable. And if you get drawn into a story that has elements that matter, whether you're laughing or whether you're crying, there is something about affirming life, not just as something random, not simply as a struggle, but to say, it's pretty good to be a part of this. Pretty giant privilege. Yeah. I think that there is... I mean, this is something I've thought about or has maybe just become an assumption of my life because I've spent so much time doing it. But it's odd now because my main outlet for comedy is gone because I did live theater. I did improv comedy. Literally, the theaters are gone. I haven't done it regularly in about a year at this point to be like, so it was like starting to wane. And I've had to ask myself these questions and... You know, it's honestly a question I don't necessarily want to answer too firmly, but I feel like once I do have an answer that really resonates with me, that's going to be my next big project. But the, I think that comedy for me, or at least live comedy, is about sort of lining up your body with your mind, with your spirit, in a way, of... You're, an, you're a bunch of animals in a room. You're all connecting. And it's everyone is like sing, like singularly focused on the same thing. And I also think that it has to do on some level with the transformation of pain. Because I think pain is a constant. Suffering is a constant in everyone's life. There's no escape from it no matter what your circumstance is. And even something as like treating death or like rejection or like struggling with an internal decision. I think that there is a lot of teeth that is about, I mean, Chris's character, I think is relating to a bunch of like, probably uh horny 20 year old boys who are like trying to be chased filtering into this thing. So it's like sort of catalyzing this into a, here's this universal experience that we have or, and we're, we're going to treat these serious matters with a levity that allows us to uh, not become overwhelmed by the things in our experience. And I think like there is all like that sort of like comedy is pain plus time is like a kind of a, a rote idea now, but, or that it's like this laughing or this clown, the clown is actually crying or whatever. But I think that, like, for me, there's almost more these moments of connection and transcendence is why I think, like, we're doing a two-hour podcast about this. Oh, uh, we're over, we we're over the two-hour mark. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so this, it's, this is this is like Joe Rogan DePiro. <laughs> I mean, this is – well, this is just yeah. us, actually. This is kind of predictable. Yeah. Because we have patterns. We knew that we were going to keep Chris – we knew when we brought Chris on that we were going to do a mega episode. Our, our friendship was like a lion. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that is the question. Because, like, you even think about someone like the real Mr. Rogers. Like, he had a philosophy for what he was trying to achieve with putting something on TV. And there's mm-hmm. often this time, like, you know, I've done, like, pilot writing classes. I've wrote another, written other scripts. 
that are based off of either something true that I want to communicate or a certain like a relationship dynamic that I think is interesting or compelling or just very, some of them are just like very fun. What's the funniest thing we could do in this moment? But it is like what it is kind of the question that you were posing. And I think that is also, I remember talking to my buddy Zach about this, about the Mr. Rogers documentary, which I actually have not seen and need to, but as I'm talking about it, but it's like, what do you want someone to take from what you're seeing? How do you want to affect someone's life in some way? And there is, and I even think of like the arts as kind of, uh, or like film or theater as the version of whatever the role that people served in smaller communities. And in, in some way, it allows us to sort of break through some of the problems of modern life, which lead to so much disconnection, where like, literally, I'm in New York City, there's 20 million people packed into whatever different neighborhoods and stuff. There's no real sense of, there is in some places, but there's not like the same sense of community that you'd give if you li- got if you lived in a place with, I don't know, 300 people max, there's like, You know what I mean? Like, you put those people in a theater, you put something in front of them, and they can all sort of pull together in the same direction. I think there's a certain tribal communal. And I I don't, I think those are all good thoughts. I just sit with them without a big response. I would just go back to say that, you know, it's, I think we're reflecting on the process, but we were also detailing just psychologically, what was it like to go through this process? And it's funny in some ways, it's true, they're, they're, we're always trying to do something meaningful. But at the same time, we were just trying to make something funny, you know. There mm-hmm. was something that was just kind of like intuitive about the whole thing. Like, this would be funny, then we connected to this funny thing. And there is kind of something, that's life too. It's, it's both reflection and then you have to go back to just the process itself. How much more, I mean, I'm not rushing us, but do we want to keep going or are we... Do we need to double back to uh, the movies? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even. Yeah, what do we think about Vampire? I don't even remember what was in those movies. All right, Vampire. <laughs> I thought it was really good, but remind. So I, I I just watched Vampire yesterday, but I've I've been doing so much more thought exercises. I'm trying to remember what happens. So let me see. Oh wait, he goes to he goes to the yeah, the guys up as Castle in Transylvania, Orlock or whatever. Orlock Oh was, no, that's uh Nosferatu. Oh I'm sorry. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> yeah. Vampire is like the guy he goes to this weird hotel kind of place. And There's he's this Angel Weather Vane and a man with a scythe and he's like woken up in his sleep. And, and he's very skinny. The the, the vampire and vamp in uh Nosferatu. Yes. Very slender. Skin, skinny, yes. Gaunt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think these movies were good, but I, uh, I don't think I don't think I'd go back to them. I think they're iconic, but yeah, I, I, I don't I, think I'll be watching Nosferatu <laughs> ever again. But right, there's an interesting part of Vampire that we didn't talk about where he falls asleep on a bench and then steps outside of himself. Then he walks yes. into this room, finds a coffin, and then discovers mm-hmm. that it's him in the coffin and then is like nailed within it and it's like remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return is written on the coffin and he's carried through the streets about to be buried alive essentially but paralyzed is Which, there is there anything you wanted to 
say by way of interpretation? I'm not sure what that was about. It's kind of what I was... I mean, I think that's one of the other short stories from the source material, but mm-hmm. I think that there's some sort of like dream or nightmare component that it was trying to communicate. I mean, it seems like it must be some sort of uh, identification with the vampire. And maybe that's just supposed to be like, we're all under this spell. But I, I really... That that part was was uh, one of my favorites as well, but I wasn't sure whether just to take it as a like a a, a gothic dreamy motif um, to to just throw in or ha- how it. Um, so maybe I missed the the point of of that that scene as well. But both of the movies were. Um, I, I mean, I really I really did appreciate them for more their um, their shots. I mean, you can tell it's all, the, the two movies are only a decade apart. You can tell how much uh, filmmaking progressed from uh, directions, from techniques, um, from from editing, um, just with with ten days uh, or ten years apart. Um, but nonetheless, um, Nosferatu uh, had some of its own uh, kind of tricks that that gave. Uh, more or less to a, a creepy, uh, more tense ambiance. Um, yeah, but that, I, I would say that scene th- that they were working on, um, just, just the shots uh, of him, uh, you know, first person laying in the coffin and them lighting the candle over the glass for it. Um, oh, yeah, then the face and, of the vampire comes over. Right. That was, yeah, that was really eerie. I guess I guess shots. I guess I'm just more of a it's it's dawning on me as you guys are discussing this with real meditative focus. I think I'm just a musical theater fan. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's just my jam right there. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, I mean, would it help if I told you that Dreyer was trying to visually capture the same spirit as Francisco Goya's paintings? Would that influence your decision at all? I'm I'm gonna stand by my. That's my last statement. I'm 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 a, I'm a musical guy. I just I just said it. I'm, you it's know what? Conclusive. I think I don't have anything else to say about these films either. <laughs> well, are you guys still ranking them? We oh. we're, we're well. The trouble is, this is not a rank. We do rank some films. This is these are mostly films we watched as an excuse to talk about teeth. This frankly. is yeah. This is a uh, Halloween. This is out of the order, yeah. So and this it is, is Halloween. Come out before this is, yeah. Oh, it's officially Halloween. Yeah, right it's now. one a.m., one o four. So Halloween, happy give Halloween. Us a, give us a howl, Tim. <laughs> I got. Come people, on. I got. I got people sleeping down the hallway. Come on, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Hey, listen, you could watch the everybody listening. If you've made it this far. It, Teeth is on YouTube, so if you want the full-blown howl, if you want the full-blown show, Teeth of Monstrous Musical Comedy, it's on, thing. it's on the YouTubes. It's free. We don't have any subscription rate. It's just as it was because they captured it in film. You know what? This might be too much of a question because I feel like we are wrapping up pretty soon here. But 
I think it was two hour, two years ago that Chris, you started to rewrite it on your own. Is this tr- this Ooh, is true, right? Let's get into what this. What did you? Let's get into what this did you garbage change? trash. <laughs> What's this bull hockey? What's going on? So, honestly, dude, I don't remember what I even did to it. I I I, I rewrote just like two scenes. Did you add in? delete characters or are you just like i mean we had always talked about no, deleting the no, scene it was, it was, or editing the scene where tim gets tabletopped because we were um, always like i don't know yeah. if that quite did yeah I yeah maybe tim i worked on that. that one i i think i think i was just reworking putting uh new jokes in seeing what seeing what worked um a little bit better um but you know watching it, it's like I don't. I don't think there was a whole lot that needs to be changed. I, I think a lot of it had to do with maybe us just rushing some lines and um, and needing to slow the timing down a little bit just to uh, just allow each line to hit the um, a, a little more clean. Um, but no, I, I honestly. So you I, were trying I, to I do really the, don't. You're <laughs> trying to do the polish work that DePiro does. Yeah. No, I mean because I also. I, there, there were a couple ideas. For Ooh, a, wait. Okay. Yeah, come on. For, give us the, give us the juice. No. We're like, we're squeezing this lime for every last drop. Oh, hold on. There, there were a couple ideas. Uh, I don't know if I talked with you or, or, um, or Hyder about uh, the sequels. Oh, um, oh my gosh, sequels! I know my aunt Jeannie would be excited about that. Everyone yeah. was looking forward to the magic beans bringing me mm-hmm. back to life, which we kind of well, threw in as a red herring. So that was the the uh, the, seek, the following sequel, part number two, would be of the entire cast was basically kind of washed up. Like they were, the entire cast just had like one hit as teeth, and um, I think Count William. Uh, uh, the actor who played Count William. So the, basically, it, it took a. He it just took, comes back as the actor. It's like my character oh no, died, but no. So so the so part two follows the actual actors of Teeth Part One. <laughs> and, and so it, it's just and, like a full meta narrative, a hundred percent. But so it follows like uh, like Count William at the actor is still kind of like stuck in count william mode and you you see have him like at a dinner table with his family just like you know just crying wanting their dad and husband back um and uh and him just like talking about how he he had it he had he had that breaking role um and just kind of like but like washed up nonetheless there there are a bunch of other ideas but ultimately it, it ends where it ends where all of the all of the actors um, are basically working toward getting another chance for a teeth sequel, and the and the the third part, the third musical, <laughs> <laughs> the third musical is 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 the actual teeth sequel. Um, you know what, Chris? But, I think we but, could do this like the producers and make it a play within a play. So it's a play about a play within a with a play and in the play. Now let me ask you this, not to be too personal, but you, that would probably be tighter. 
you kind of wind up with with Bill's wife in the end, even though you're a student. She's a queen, which is mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. did, would that play out? A in, timeless queen, right? Mm-hmm. Would that play out in in real life? Exactly. So are you saying that in this film, Chris Madden and Nina Pino get together but can't quite break character? <laughs> I don't know. I'm wondering how much they stay in character. I mean, we left it on some yeah. awkward footing, you know? Yeah. Well, so that would that would be a, a piece in part two that you could explore as they they publicly were, a, were an item as a promotional piece um, for people. To, to boost the show um, itself for people to go see part one. Um, in this in this world, did we get on like Broadway? Or is this like in the world of promoting oh, oh, yeah. our Landman Hall show? Oh yeah, this is this is a Broadway smash hit. Um, <laughs> or maybe she calls him up. Maybe maybe Denise calls up Chris because she's like Bankrupt. She's been living the high life too much, and he's kind of this responsible dad now. I can see that. I think Nina would play that part well. Just like pearls and like cocktail dresses. Right. Anything anything involving a martini glass. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, in a sort of beggarly way. I think it'd be great. But I just see like uh, an Angelica Houston vibe. Yeah. But it's like seeing, seeing. I think it was mostly around Count William. Like Count William, just kind of like sulking with like a, a tattered old cape, just walking down the, the New York City um, strip, and like go going into going into auditions, like in character of Count William, but but auditioning for auditioning for some, something completely different. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just. I'm seeing a film like this. I'm picturing as like a sort of a gritty '70s New York film or something. <laughs> it's almost like a period piece. No, I, I honestly, I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily know. All I knew for uh, Chris and, and Tim were that they they were um, they were hungry to get back on stage, but for but some for whatever reason. See the, the Tim, what, the Tim character. It feels like he would go into something like insurance work. Just kind of, what would he do afterwards? Yeah, park he ranger, might be writing advertisements mm. and stuff. Either park ranger or MMA fighter. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Chris, Just, I, I think it has to be said that this does feel like literally like our lives now to some degree like we had it great and now we've moved on and we're still living in the shadow of the thing we did in the past right i'm in new york (laughs) going to these lame auditions not booking stuff unable to let go of the past we've all moved on but spiritually have not hmm i mean I, I, am i psychoanalyzing you too hard at the moment I mean, I, 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 I definitely. I don't even. I normally try to avoid talking about teeth. Um, well, let me ask you this. Maybe this could be a way of landing the plane because we. I mean, we've been we've been taking we've been missing those exits like you guys were doing previously in some car ride that I wasn't a part of because I would have been pissed. Um, Chris, how do you summarize teeth 
Just kind of, you know, in, in mm-hmm. a non, non-rhyming, non-metered poem, because you speak mm-hmm. in poems. How, do you, how yeah. do you look back at teeth? This is uh, a, you have a poet's mind. Teeth was a gift to the community, purely because three friends enjoyed one another's company, and uh, and th- and were bold enough to think that if we enjoy each other's company, surely the world will enjoy our company as well. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> We actually kind of still hold on to that mentality by recording this podcast at all, thinking that people are going to like this. And we thought that back then, um, this is not nearly as talented as what we have previously done. You know what? I'm just proud that this is longer than the musical we're describing. <laughs> but listen, we've never done a behind the scenes. We've never done it's this. True. This is never. We, and, and this is this is the first time, and it's recorded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I well, Chris, happy Halloween because oh, geez, thanks. No one's ever said that to me. Trick or treat. Well, let's just keep being friends in years ahead. Let's do it. Friendship is what is um, it? Have you guys already done Doctor Strangelove? No. Would you want to? Mm-mm. I would. I would like that very much. So. Really? Yeah. That's you've always had a thing for that film. Isn't that funny? Called he's he's called dibs on strange love. All right, you got dibs. You got it, dude. And then I, afterwards, uh, we'll watch Vanilla Sky with Tom Cruise. <laughs> Remember watching that in your basement years? I've no idea what it's about. It's just hard. You like movies that are hard to understand. It's it's an angsty psychedelic sci-fi movie. What's not to like? I'm not going there again. <laughs> I'll go back to your blue sky mind, but not vanilla sky. That won't happen. Not on my watch. I'll just say this. If you have the capacity to laugh, you have the capacity to hope. I think that's the final word. There you go. He did it. He did it again. I have to say, this was so much fun. Uh, (laughs) Felt like I was back there for a bit watching it today. Uh, it had been long enough that I had forgotten stuff, and I was like, oh, wow. I just remembered... It's crazy that it exists outside of I us. just remembered like a minute ago that we used to practice... Mm-hmm. We practiced the ballet scene in Holy Rosary grade school gymnasium, where we went to grade mm-hmm. school. Yep. And I was in a circle playing some djembe for some rhythmic introductions. You guys remember that? I mean, we <laughs> haven't talked about any of our behind-the-scenes stuff, like about... There's, like, the video of me playing, like, Beethoven and making everyone run around the thing. Or we would do... Remember, we would we would do, like, the Independence Day speech and then, like, a Langston <laughs> Hughes poem <laughs> before every... I barely remember. I do, sort of. But I also don't remember that. That's cool. We would do those, like... I guess it was Soul Train, or we would do those dance lines... Was, everyone would have to dance down the middle of it. Oh, right. Just to kind of, like, embarrass yourself and just, like, get moving and get in your body a bit. You, you were taking these Notre Dame party vibes to our practices. You were like, <laughs> there was a little bit of that, you know? For sure. Which was great. Man. Mm. Laugh and hope, or however Chris phrased it. All right. Well, gang, Bill, I guess you're the leader, Bill. Would 
How did we do this? We're just tired. Hey, we have been the princes of cinema, and now we need our Betty bye. We, for those of you who stuck around to the end, we see you. Rate and review. And then also, you probably have our phone number. So text us. We'd love to hear from you. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great point. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see what happens. Who knows? Risky. All right. You've made it this far. You've you've seen it, which means you know us. All right. Yep. Thank you so much. And as always, our outro music is Patricia. Hiya. Hiya.